Welding instructor Alex DeClaire knows VR training platforms like ForgeFX help students master their skills. There's a big learning curve with welding. Virtual reality simulates that exact muscle memory that they need. Learn more at meta.com slash metaverse impact. Caesars Sportsbook is the only sportsbook app with Caesars rewards. That means win or lose, every bet brings you closer to the types of perks only Caesars can offer. Like hotel stays at over 50 iconic destinations, bonus bets, daily profit boosts, tickets to the game, dining, and so much more. Whether you're a new or existing customer, Caesars Sportsbook is always rewarding. Must be 21. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Caesars Sportsbook. Don't just spectate, participate. about to experience the drunken peasants podcast the greatest podcast in human history please recognize that this podcast is designed to be amusing and entertaining and thus we engage in satirical comments exaggerations and even dirty jokes if you are offended by such things please go away and die 
If you enjoy this podcast, we ask that you help to support its existence by contributing to our Patreon at patreon.com forward slash DP. Contributors get regular access to monthly private shows, special commentaries, Google Hangouts with the peasants, and more. If you don't want to do that, you can also support the show by visiting audibletrial.com forward slash drunken peasants to get a free audiobook and access to over 150,000 audiobook titles, including great selections on science and skepticism. And if you shop on Amazon.com, we strongly urge you to use one of the Amazon affiliate links in the description section of our videos. You can help support the show simply by using our link to buy things you are going to buy anyway. Now that we've got all that shit out of the way, sit back and enjoy the show. Live from the frigid armpit of America, this is the Drunken Peasants Podcast with Ben and TJ, bringing you opinions of the news from an altered perspective. Suck it! Oh, 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 oh. There are starving children in the world, right? Show me, show me a child. Show me some empirical evidence it happened. Yes, what the fuck is wrong with you? Lick my butthole, he laughed. What the fuck is going on? There's nothing, TJ. You're garbage. You're garbage, TJ. Now, here are your hosts, Ben and TJ. Welcome to the Drunken Peasants Podcast, where we DP the fuck out of the internet. The universe. This is show 156. A special episode. We've hit the 156 mile marker on the road to success. Yeah, boy. I think our 200th episode, TJ should die. That'll be the twist. <laughs> TJ's dead. The end. Sweet. Or is it? But then I can come back as zombie TJ. Yeah, zombie <sighs> TJ. You'll actually have more empathy when you come back as zombie TJ. Yeah, I'll be actually, like, nicer. When shirt guy comes on the show, I'll be like, Zombie TJ likes shirt Love guy. you, third guy. Dave Reanimator. Okay. It's uh, no, it's Dave Creator. Dave Reanimator. <laughs> He's Dave Reanimator. He Sorry, Dave. Dave. Scotty's changing your name. Your name has changed, bitch. <laughs> Herbert West Reanimator. Sorry about that, Dave. Dave. I'm not sorry, Dave. Dave Creator made our intro. Let's give a big round of applause to Dave yeah, Creator. Yeah. Oh my God. TJ slapped with him. Hell yeah. TJ had sex with him for the intro. He did. That was the exchange. He's like, I want money. TJ's like, How about this ass? And he's like, All right. I guess. He was drunk. Nah, TJ, don't lie. Yeah. He was, he was sober as a guy that's been on. It's fucking just been in AA for three years. TJ, not one relapse, not one drink. Would never even take a drink. He was as sober as possible. If you're a, a girl in our audience, <sighs> five sets of ears just perked up right now. Huh? Uh, if you're a girl in our audience and you have nice cleavage and you're over eighteen years old, would you do us a favor? And, uh, <laughs> you know, a favor. wearing either like a bikini top or a <sighs> bra or something like, <sighs> you know, can you <sighs> shut up? You got to write. I love DP on your tits. Okay. The reason for this is simple. Tell them why TJ. Uh, our nemesis 
He who must not be named. Because he's too logical. He's too smart for us. He's too he's fucking a, He's smart. a real genius. Uh, AIU. No, no, no. No, no, that's not him. Devon. Devon okay. Dudley. So, so... He, uh, he has, uh, he's bragged about how the girls on his show have sent him uh, cleavage pics. love me. That say, you know, I love AIU on, love their, me. on their chest. We just want to get more. <laughs> you know, we can't beat him intellectually because he's just no, too, too smart. fucking smart for us. A real fucking genius. <laughs> if only An I inconquerable had a shred of his intellect. TJ, he's inconquerable with his intellect. Not, it's like, it's Mount, the Mount Everest of intellects. Come yeah, on. Not to mention the highbrow European-style sense of humor. Oh, Lost yes. on um, North American That's resonating audiences. with all the hip kids, you know? People in North America are like, what's going on? I don't even understand. Is, is he speaking English? Like, what's happening? Because as we know, people in North America only speak English. That's the only language they speak. I can only appeal to these cheeseburger-eating, acne-faced American teenagers while he gets all the highbrow, snooty intellectuals. But maybe, just maybe, I can get more girls to write I love DP on their tits. You hey, TJ, I just want to say something to you. You can also write I hate AIU if you don't want to say you love us. Hey, TJ. Yeah. Blacked. Blacked, huh? <laughs> Done. It's up, Doc. Done. Day. All right, so before we bring our guest, Howard Bloom, on the show, Howard Bloom. Uh, we're going to go ahead and shill a little bit. Yeah. Actually, this is exciting. Hey, guys, we need a shilling intro. Shill. You guys need time to, to make some money. Time to make some money. Time Chill. to make some money on the Drug Opinion Podcast. We have TJ's garbage. Ban TJ hoodie. Yeah, yeah. Ban the, Ben. Someone sent me a picture of them wearing a Ban TJ hoodie. It's pretty awesome. Neat. And if you send in pictures, if you've gotten any shirts, feel free to send them in. And eventually, here, once all the shirts have been sold, <coughs> uh, you know. We'll do a slideshow where everyone's picture gets shown. Yeah, do we have a uh, we have a new item? We have a couple. We have a returning item and a new item. Yeah, the returning item is awesome. The returning item is the Ben Cena shirt, which last time didn't sell shit, but I guess now that Cena is such a meme, it's selling. Yep. So, yeah, get your Ben Cena this, shirt. Ben loves Cena. This, you guys thought it sucked months ago, but now it's cool. It, this actually mimics a, a shirt style that Cena had previously. Oh, really? Yeah, like, it used to say, Rise Above Hate, but I made it say, Rise Above Taint. Neat. Wow. So, so yeah, you if wear you like this taint, shirt... And you're fucking making fun of Cena, and you're in on the I'll Cena tell you what, meme. I'll tell you what. If you buy this shirt, and you send in a fucking picture of you wearing it, I will make your picture the thumbnail of an episode. Woo! Oh, wow. <laughs> so, but, Well, what if a bunch of people do it, though? Then they can all be a part yes, of the They festival. can all be thumbnails. They can. Wow. That's hardcore. It's hardcore. Also, we have the Drunken Peasants hoodie. Yeah, the new and, and well, I guess it's not. I guess it's a returning item as well. But, you know, it winter's is. coming up and shit. Drunken Peasants hoodie. Fall, TJ. It's it fall. Is the high what the fuck? It is... Ah, it is the highest quality hoodie. Stop jerking your mic off. That they possibly have. I didn't even touch it. You're supposed to be shilling properly, you fucking idiot. Can't be trusted to shill anymore. You're well, worthless. how am I supposed to work under these fucking conditions? I don't Microphone know, doesn't work. If you, if you it mean, works just fine. When, when you say under these conditions, if you mean being TJ, then yeah. I don't know. I don't know how you do it. That was pretty good. 
TJ needs Touché, to form a union. Ben. He's going to form fucking shit. He's going to form a union, Ben. Yeah, the, the TJ. TJ union. Collective bargaining. I need 99% of the revenue from the show. All right, fair. Time to bring the guest on. Oh, no, no. One more thing. One more thing. Ugh, what? Oh, FanDuel. yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, let's do that. So, because so many of our uh, viewers slash listeners uh, have participated in our FanDuel League, they have now added an extra 50 slots to our listener league, which means more money to be won. Yeah, now the first prize is 150. It used to be 75. Right. Second prize, 75. Third prize, 50. Fourth prize, 40. So it looks like I'm going to be so winning so again. Oh, you're going to win more money? I'm going to win more money. Scotty, what, what did you place on our last uh, FanDuel listener league? You got sixth. And so Scotty, how twice. Much, how much did you? Oh, you got sixth So twice. right now... Uh, Almost a third of the slots are already full. It doesn't matter if we if we don't fill all the slots, though. Th this prize money's guaranteed, no matter what. Yeah, so get in on that shit, y'all. But it probably will fill up. So I look hurry forward to taking up. more of your guys's money. So you know, just prepare. Yeah, shit. I, I need to get slots on that actually. <laughs> yeah. Because I don't have uh I don't have my uh personal. You have you have no chance. Be, I'll, I'll be happy to take your money. My name by the way on the site is uh Noosey in the Fly with Limons. So Ah, yeah. If you guys want to go uh compete against me and shit. I think uh what is Ben's I, I love My, cocaine? Mine's just like drunken peasants. No, I think it was I love Scotty, cocaine. Scotty, what is yours? I wish. Uh Scotty DP. Yep. Scotty DP. So you get DP. So come yep. and play Often. with us. Come and play. Play with us. Come play with come us. Play with us. All right. Here comes Howard Bloom. We're, we're bringing him on the line. Hopefully everything goes smoothly. Are you there, Howard? Yes. Now let's get the picture a little bit better. Yep, and I'm going to bring... Okay, cool. All right, It looks good. I'm going um, to do a few quick things. I need to turn up your audio, and I'm going to share screens with you here. So how's it going, Howard? Uh, it's very interesting. Life continues to be very interesting. What's going on? Well, uh, uh, oh, it's very complicated. We, uh, in my private life, I've fallen madly in love with somebody. And falling madly in love takes you into an entire forest of the mind that you never knew was there on a normal basis. And you're groping and wandering. It's got its moments of ecstasy. It's got its moments of incredible pain. Oh, what is this thing trying to tell me? <laughs> it's telling me that I'm due for something. So at any rate, and and it's just bizarre. It is. It's painful and it's bizarre. That mirrors what's going on in your life, doesn't it, TJ? Yeah, kind of. It, it, it actually does. TJ's madly in love with someone new as well, so you guys can uh, kind of bond over that. Uh, yeah, exactly. Is the right word. I'll right. commiserate. Right. And meantime, we got to plow ahead with things. I've got a uh, a new podcast that just went up on iTunes yesterday. Um, it's a new podcast series. It's called Howard Bloom Saves the Universe. And the first episode is about why we absolutely love, adore, and are di addicted to the end of the world scenarios. Um, why is that then? Well, that's a good question uh, because it, <coughs> when we, you know, we're actually a part of a generation that's eventually going to flicker out and die and be just as anonymous as the Irish dock workers of 1850 were in who, who worked in london are to us today we don't even know about their existence and um if we're part of cataclysm if we're a part of a universe that's on the verge or a world that's on the verge of self-destruction hey that gives us a monumental importance 
And these apocalyptic myths don't just arrive with an idea that the world is going to end. They arrive with the idea that only us, a tiny little group of people, a tiny little cognoscenti, are intelligent enough to understand what to do to save the world. So the world's going to end for everybody else, but it's not going to end for us because we know the answer. And that applies to groups from the Christians who are waiting around for Jesus to reappear in 30 AD, um, to the environmentalists who believe that uh, the world is going to end in this massive cataclysm of climate change and only they know how to save us. Mm -hmm. So it gives us a, it puts us in a position of unique importance and it gives us a sense of control over our lives. And it also gives us a sense that there's this thing called um, uh, altruistic punishment. Um, when you single out others and demonize them so that you can punish them, it turns out it produces a dopamine surge in the striatum and certain other parts of the brain. It's like a high. It's like cocaine. Um, it's like amphetamines. Oh, well, so good you, to persecute these people. Yes. Yes, exactly. You oh, got it. Oh, God, right. yeah. When you know exactly who the enemy is that's bringing on the world's destruction and only you are capable of guiding people toward a higher position. Okay. And, Don't you think uh, that... Uh, by the way, by the way, right now I'm getting told that Howard's volume is really low and I have turned right, well, him let up. Let me go look at it. Now, let me okay. go look at it in my controls. Hang on, bear with me. Okay, thank um, you. It could be, no, that's the wrong volume. So, uh, bear with me. I'm a klutz on these things. We're no, it's all right. Yeah, okay. It's all right. And, and what is it? It's all right. Um, let me see. It gives me a way to turn up the sound. Uh, properties, properties. That yep. should do it. Properties sounds about right. Uh, no, I don't see anything. Wait, wait, wait. Listen, levels. Levels. Magic. Okay. Now we're going going to turn it way up and barring that well come on stop turning yourself down um <laughs> okay apply okay no it, it went back to where it was hang on let's try it one more time and then i'll try turning off the air conditioner um because that may be swamping everything um so I would say some levels, some people in the chat levels, levels. you're you're watching my Whoa. No. <laughs> oh, yeah, uh, no, okay, 747. Some, some people are just, some people in the chat are saying yeah, right. I would say we're just going to go I think we're just going to roll with it. Now Okay. No, uh, don't do you think there's like an element of egotism though to that uh, into the world stuff? Not just in like the idea of like ourselves as saviors, but maybe like the idea that you know, we're the last generation. We're the pinnacle of human achievement. Nothing came after us. That sort of Absolutely. thing. Like that. I mean, you know, humans are addicted to something that we never talk about. Attention. Attention is the oxygen of the human soul. That's a bloomism. Um, Henry Kissinger said that uh, attention is the ultimate aphrodisiac. He was right. And if we're just going to disappear on the stage of history without ever having made it into the spotlight at all, uh, that's a rather disappointing thing for those of us, all of us, who hunger, crave, demand, desire, attention. But if we're right in center stage, right in the middle of things, and we have the pivotal position that's either going to save the world or not going to save the world, that puts us right in the middle of the spotlight. All of a sudden, we imagine ourselves at the very center of attention. If there's a God involved in um, destroying this earth, an angry God clutching at it with, a, with an iron fist, um, that is the most popular idea, by the way. 
yes, well, we have God's attention. I mean, we not only have God's attention, we're in the center of attention because we're the only ones who can do his work. So, yes, egotism is it's all about egotism. Yeah, that, that attention thing, I feel sorry for the people unlike me who are uh, going to be forgotten it to history, whereas my <laughs> name will ring throughout the ages. The, the TJ and, uh, Museum, you know, your video's on display 24-7. <laughs> yes. Well, this is serious stuff. TJ's got, what, 500,000 subscribers to your YouTube site now? Seven, um, 725. 726,000. Amazing. So is just a chance that you will make it into history, that when your bones are, are surrounded by what little remains of the dust that was you, um, that in fact, T.J. Kincaid, the amazing atheist, will go marching on. There's a do, you think, um, do you think that's why uh, people do these like uh, mass shooting type things more than anything else? Yes, just, it you is know, a primary, it, it's an absolutely primary motivation um, because it, it brings them attention. And even if they're doing it as a form of suicide, I don't know if you've ever contemplated suicide. I've tried it once or twice. Um, it's a very lonely proposition. And you'd much rather go out with company and, of course, you've got a blaze of glory, then that's ideal. So shooting a whole bunch of people, yeah, that's definitely going to put you in the headlines. Yeah, you know, you, you get on uh, the cover of uh, the magazines and have the news cycle be just about you and what you did for, you know, uh, probably at least a couple weeks depending that's, on that's uh, how depending on how how big your uh your uh you know victim pool is right well so attention is the oxygen in the human soul and there's another magic quality to attention attention is an information processing coupling um if you can get a sufficient attention what you have been doing pours into the group mind becomes something significant in the group mind i mean Einstein is a permanent presence in our lives, and he died in something like 1957. Um, Galileo and Newton are constant presences in our lives, and they died 300 years ago. So these guys managed to form, uh, to form a, couple, a kind of information coupling that allows them to pour their knowledge across the centuries, pour it to, to, pour it to generations that come long after their time. Well, guess what? Human society benefits from that. It benefits from having people who compete with all their might to come up with something that's worthy of society's attention and then compete to get that attention and compete to get the ultimate coupling, which is enough attention that the attention goes on, as Achilles used to like to say, because he wanted this kind of attention, for thousands of years down the line. Yeah, but I mean, there's like the dark flip side to the desire for attention, too. With, you know, with the but, mass shootings and the end of the world stuff. Oh, and, it's more than that. How did Alexander the Great get to be great? Because of the number of people he killed. How did Napoleon fix himself permanently in our mind? Because of the yeah. number of people he killed. How has Adolf Hitler managed to become a permanent presence in the collective brain? Because of the number of people he killed. We humans don't recognize it. People on the people. internet still get compared to Hitler to this day. Yes, I, I noticed that. And some people deliberately take on names, uh, their, their screen names, that are very similar to Adolf Hitler um, for, for shock value, to get attention. But, but what makes humans unique? What makes us different from bonobos? What makes us different from chimpanzees? Bonobos and chimpanzees are not the kind of multi-generational creatures that we are. They don't carry around with them a whole toolkit that's left to them by ancestors. Yes, at most they, they, they use a, a stone as a hammer and a certain a flat rock as an anvil, and they manage to break open nuts. That's as far as it goes. We, we 
get, we are gifted with the grandfather effect. We admire what the elders of old who achieved that kind of mythic, uh, legendary status. We not only admire what they have to say, we gain attention for ourselves by citing over and over again what they have to say. When I put Albert Einstein, Galileo, and Newton into play in the conversation, I'm lifting my own potential stature a little bit. What does that do for the legacies of these guys? It keeps those legacies alive. So we've got a legacy of culture that goes back somewhere between 40,000 and 2.5 million years, a legacy of the tools we make, but more important, a legacy of language. We, you know, words like ah and the and but and sentences and paragraphs, all these were radical inventions in their time. And those inventions have been handed down generation after generation after generation because we have this fixation on aggrandizing ourselves by citing our ancestors. You know, it's, it's uh, you're, getting, you're, you're getting a little too highbrow for our lowbrow audience, so I'm going to uh -huh. change gears to, to something more salacious. Donald okay, Trump. Donald oh Trump. Uh, Future president. You know, I, I, watched, uh, I watched your video, first of all, about... Yeah. Um, not your most recent video about the tr Donald Trump, but the one you did before that about what a bully he is. Right. I think it, I was watching a, a documentary. I don't remember. I think it's, it was called something like "You've Been Trumped" or something. Oh, like the, that. the one about the Scottish golf course. Yeah, and uh, there's a there's a scene where he's looking at someone's house and he's like, "We got to get that house out of here. That house has got to be it's gone." Gone. Like, and the, uh, his handler was like, <laughs> well, "The owner's probably not gonna be happy about that." He's like, "I don't care. I don't care." It's like. You know, we're supposed to believe this guy is going to have like, the best interest of the American people at heart when he's obviously just does everything for his own gratification and nothing beyond that whatsoever. There's no there's not a civic minded bone in Donald Trump's body, in my opinion. I don't know what you think about that. Well, Sounds I used like... to get really upset about his TV show, uh, The Apprentice, because when you're running a business, your job is to grow other people. Your job <laughs> is to find the things that other people want to do most and are most capable of doing and then help them achieve what they want to achieve through the work that you are giving them. Um, it's like gardening, um, but Donald Trump doesn't see it that way. He gets across the impression that running a business is all about saying you're fired. I'm sorry, when you fire a person, you, you are destroying your business. You are not building your business. It's the very opposite of capitalism, entrepreneurialism, whatever the hell you want to call it. What and, about... And what about the the type of things that Mitt Romney used to do where he would like, you know, buy corporations and like liquidate them? Is that well, I've, I've heard some good. I, I hate to say this because I'm a total <laughs> registered Democrat, but I, I've heard some good things about Mitt Romney from inside of his organization that he had a method for going into a business that was not doing all that well and changing it so that it would do much, much better. Um, yes, he did do that liquidation stuff, and, and I was commenting on it back whenever that was, yeah. seven years ago or something yep. like that. Um, but, and, that was, and that was fairly hideous and foul and monstrous because he was basically cheating people. He was getting money from them. He was, he was asking more money than, than, than these businesses deserved. He, he was deliberately selling people faulty investments. But uh, in order to line his own pockets in the pockets of a company, he apparently did have a method for turning companies around. And hmm. that's something we never really got to examine in that election. But Donald Trump, I mean, look, okay, one characteristic of bullies, bullies think that everybody else is bullying them. They think they're the victims. Well, look at Donald Trump leveling lawsuits left and right for people who are, he's, to use his word, mean to him. Now, how many people is Don, are mean to Donald Trump compared to the number of people Donald Trump is mean to? 
Donald Trump, the number of people Donald Trump is mean to far outflanks um, the, the number of people who are mean to Donald Trump. And if you are in the public arena and there's freedom of speech, that meanness, what he calls meanness, is called criticism. <laughs> and criticism and debate are what a democracy is all about. So Donald Trump, uh, at best, would be Vladimir Putin if he could. He'd be a total bully taking over totalitarian control of a country. And your example of saying that house has got to go. No, it's gone. Um, without any, any feeling for the person inside the house, that's the way Donald Trump thinks that he's doing, creating magnificent deeds and getting things done. And if you allow the expression, fuck him. <laughs> what is the uh, no? We love him. What, what is your on, what guys. is your what is your feeling about his uh, his his border wall? Idea oh, the border nonsense that yeah. the Mexicans are going to pay for, and then not only that, self they're, they're also going to self deport. Our relations with Mexico will improve, and the second he's president, he's going to deport everyone. Right, and, and somebody's worked out the arithmetic on us deporting everybody, and it costs about one hundred and fifteen billion dollars to do that. Donald Trump has claimed that it costs something like two hundred billion dollars a year to uh, to do whatever we do with the immigrants we've already got in the United States. And people have done the arithmetic on that, and it turns out that the immigrants who are already in the United States make us more money than they cost us because they go to work, they earn wages, they pay taxes. You've heard these arguments before. Um, Communism. Wall, one, of the problems, <laughs> one of the problems with building walls, and we learned this in the Dark Ages from 500 A.D. to, to 1100 A.D., <laughs> When you build walls, you not only lock people out, you lock yourself in. And that's one of the most dangerous things that can happen to us. Right now, we're not doing all that well in the world. We need to absorb as many lessons as we can from those who are doing well. Um, and we need to, uh, to, to create sufficiently to outflank them. Um, what, but, what is, so, that, that brings up a question in my mind. What, what do you think is America's learning disorder why are we so why is it so difficult for us to ever reach a consensus on anything is, is it just because people are all you know we have so many different factions of people who look at things in so many different ways and there's so many different perceptual realities and shit that we just can't even ha come to a consensus about what is let alone what should be well having a lot of different um a lot of different hypotheses in the group mind is a very good thing the more you have the better but yes you do have to make decisions from time to time and um, and the human way of coming up with um, uh, with options is black and white, us versus them. It's binary. It's divide things into everybody get everybody who wants to get on the side of Coke and everybody who wants to get on the side of Pepsi. Everybody who wants to get on the side of the, the Republicans. Side of everybody who wants to get on the side of the Democrats. Everybody who wants to get on the side of the South. Everybody who wants to get on the side of the North. Um, and these these binary things periodically get us lockjawed. They get us paralyzed, um, where we can't make decisions. And right now, the, the the right and the left in Congress and the Senate have become so radically polarized that they're having a very hard time getting anything done. But there's another problem here, and that is that the right believes that government is the source of all evils, and if you get rid of government, everything will be hunky dory. They're wrong. Without government, we wouldn't have DARPA. I mean, they keep saying they keep going back to the, the quote from Barack Obama, where he said to a bunch of businessmen, you did not do this alone. Well, Barack Obama was right. Um, so it, it, the, those who argue against Barack Obama and loathe Barack Obama say Obama was wrong. He was wrong because look at the example of uh, Steve Jobs at Apple. And they natter on and on about Steve Jobs at Apple, failing to realize that Steve Jobs would have been nothing 
without the internet, which was developed and built by DARPA, the Defense Advanced Research uh, Projects Agency, a uh, part of the government. Uh, no, I think Steve Al Gore Trump's, built that. Excuse me, Howard. Uh, I think Al okay. Gore was in his the one garage who built that. in his spare time. Come on. Yep. Yeah. Well, well, he, he <coughs> apparently did encourage it at one point. Sure. Yes, sure. He did. And, we agree. And, we agree. And the, and they would have been nowhere without the microchip. And the microchip was developed uh, under military auspices. The whole computer was developed under military auspices. That's the government, for God's sakes. So we need things like roads. We need things like infrastructure. We need things like research and development. And you know the basic premise of my book, The Genius of the Beast, A Radical Revision of Capitalism, is that the Western system, which has produced amazing miracles, um, has done it through a balance, a dynamic balance between three elements, government, private industry or whatever you want to call the free enterprise system and the protest industry, which has been around since 1848 when Henry David Thoreau wrote his book on civil disobedience and started the anti-war movement. Um, and then there was an anti-imperialism mo movement. One of the very first anti-imperialist global conventions was in 1899, a long time ago. So when these things are all healthy and working against each other or with each other, the system thrives. Get rid of one of those elements and you destroy the system. And what the, the, the right wing, the Tea Party Republicans want to do is destroy government. So when they, um, God, there was uh, Bobby Jindal. Bobby oh, my Jindal's, God. Uh, he was my well, governor his, for a while, you know. Uh, you poor baby. Well, Bobby Jindal's political handler was uh, doing an interview on C-SPAN this morning. And he said, <laughs> we, we lowered taxes in Louisiana. Um, and we knew that that was going to result in deficits, but we did it to shrink the government. Once there was no money to pay for government, we'd be forced to shrink the government. Well, if you'll excuse the expression once again, fuck Bobby Jindal, because without a balance between government, private industry and the protest industry, none of these things thrive. They all shrivel up and die. It's like the Triforce. Anyway, uh, but you were talking about uh, Western civilization and it's it's a. Uh talking about well, it, its values you. and stuff but I, I was you i was watching a video of yours because I, I went back and watched uh, some of your most recent videos today so i just had some ideas about the sort of things that have been on your mind lately and uh, probably my favorite video of the ones i watched was one that concerned islam and rape and why uh, groups like isis use uh rape as you know an intimidation tactic a control tactic and uh so on yeah. and so forth. Maybe you could give us a little bit of a, of a recap of that video so that people kind of know what I'm talking about. Well, uh, Muhammad did something very important. The idea of heaven and hell wasn't unique to Muhammad. He came along hundreds of years, well, he came along approximately eight to 900 years after those ideas had been installed in the Western mind, and, at, and he came along 600 years after they were installed in the Christian mind. Um, but he did something unique. He put pussy in paradise. Are we allowed to say this? <laughs> I don't hear it. Yes, yes. Go ahead. Say, say literally want. anything you want. Right. Well, literally he anything. A, he was up against a problem. His big enemies, he, he moved out of his hometown to a town called Medina. His hometown was Mecca. Mecca was big. Medina was small. And the Meccans, and, and he decided to make a living in, in Medina by being a highway robber. Wasn't Mecca, little... wasn't Mecca the place of worship for all the different gods? Yes, in the generation before Muhammad, until a generation before Muhammad, yeah. there was a tradition of a certain month of the year when everybody got on their camels and went off to a bunch of different villages to honor the different villages' gods, and in the process they exchanged information, um, and they made alliances, and they married girls. They and looked so, over and... the daughters. 
They and looked then, over uh, the daughters of the town's fathers. And then the Meccans pulled a coup. And this is before Muhammad was born. They said, okay, we're going to take all the gods and put them in one place. And from now on, instead of going and visiting each other, um, going from village to village, you will all come to Mecca. So then the, Muhammad was exiled to Medina for preaching monotheism, correct? Well, he wasn't exiled. Um, the, the Meccans decided that they really were uh, not happy about his preachings, that his preachings were causing too much trouble, especially to this business they'd worked up of getting everybody to make a migration to Mecca every year. And here was this guy who was talking about Jerusalem um, because he wanted to be the Jewish savior. And um, Matt, Muhammad felt that he was about to be murdered. So he put his nephew, Ali, in his bed, and he snuck off in the middle of the night to escape. So he escaped to Medina. And a whole bunch of his followers escaped to Medina. And, and that meant that, the, that his followers were all living as house guests with the folks of Medina. And, you know, house guests get very unwelcome very rapidly. So Muhammad had to figure out a way to make himself welcome on a continuing basis. And he came up with this very simple idea. He knew the, the routes that Mecca's camel caravans took on their way to Syria with all kinds of riches and goods and money. So he waylaid the camel caravans and killed a couple of people and stole the stuff on the camel's backs. And then he was able to pay off his, his helpers, they're called Ansars, big time. Well, then the Meccans decided they'd had enough of this bullshit. They'd had enough of this highway robbery. So they got their army together. Their army, of course, consisted of, of their, the, the guys in the group who did war as one of the experts in, within Islam says that war was a hobby for the, the people of the Arabian Peninsula. So they got these hobbyists together, but they knew they could beat the pants off Muhammad. And they went to, um, to Medina and they lost. And Muhammad, just to, to emphasize not just that he had won, but that he had utter contempt for the people of Mecca, he stuffed the most powerful, generous, wise men of the village, he stuffed their bodies into a well. That was called the Battle of Badr. That was Muhammad's first battle. Well, then he heard, Muhammad heard that the Meccans were going to go after him again, so he decided to do a normal pitch battle, and he did it in front of a mountain called Uhud. There's a problem with positioning yourself in front of a mountain called a hood. Uh, a hood had, was really two mountains, which meant there was a pass in between them. So Muhammad's troops could be attacked from the rear. So Muhammad, he's not a dummy, uh, far from it. He took 50 archers and he um, positioned them on the pass so the Meccans couldn't possibly attack from behind. Well, Muhammad's men won this victory very rapidly over the Meccans. The Meccans, a bunch of them died, a bunch of them fled the field. And one of Muhammad's big things was make war and distribute the loot because it's with the loot you can pay off all your Ansars, all your helpers, and all the men who are fighting with you. Um, so the, the Muhammad's ground troops immediately pounced on the bodies to rob them of any jewelry, to rob them of clothing. In those days, one suit of clothes was so expensive it could buy you an entire farm. Um, so Neat. Muhammad's men went down on the bodies to, to strip them of everything they had. And the archers in the rear, seeing this, realized that if they didn't get down to the battlefield real, real fast, there was going to be no more loot left. So they abandoned their posts, and the Meccans came around on Muhammad's troops from behind and pounced when they least expected it. And Muhammad himself was almost killed in this battle. He did kill one of the Meccans himself. Um, 
But Muhammad was furious, and he needed to figure out a way to keep his men on the battlefield no matter what, so they wouldn't abandon their coasts. He came up with an idea, pussy in paradise. If you go to paradise, not only do you get loot that makes the loot here on the battlefield look absurd by comparison, you get one of those Uris, Auris, or however you pronounce them, the clear-eyed virgins of paradise whose eyes are dark. Do you know what dark eyes means? A woman's eyes look dark when she looks at you and her pupils dilate, meaning she has real sexual hunger for you. And that was promised with the virgins of paradise. So that's what distinguished. You know, Muhammad's I always thought paradise. it was kind of a bad deal, though, because they say you get uh, 32 virgins or something 72. like that. Yeah, 72. 72. Wow. I mean, 72. But I mean, you know, for eternity, that's really not that many. You know, like. <laughs> oh, you are so greedy for sex. Um, well, come on, you know, well, for, I mean, is. we're talking about eternity here, you know, I mean, right. like, even if you just fuck one uh, century, you only got 720 years, you know, right. Come well, on. That's, that's true. 7,200 years. Yes. So, it was a, uh, was that right? Yeah. Whatever. But so, so you're right. But the fact is that it worked like a charm. Arithmetic, meant, not my you, strong point. Well, if you died f killing unbelievers, if you died battling for Islam, you got an express ticket to paradise. Other people were uncertain about whether they were going to make it to paradise or make it to hell, which is a monstrous place. But you knew you'd make it to paradise. Now, here's the other thing. Muhammad, in his eighth surah, his eighth chapter of the Quran, the, the chapter is called the booty or the loot. It's really how to divvy the up the loot. <laughs> and and it, it's not That's just more appropriate than you would think, actually. Well, it's uh, not just about divvying up the clothing. It's not just about <coughs> divvying up the donkeys. It's not just about divvying up the lands. It's about divvying up the sex slaves. Because you go into a community and you kill its men, but you keep its nubile women and its young girls alive. You keep them alive. Why? Because you divide them up as sex slaves. <coughs> Some of them you marry. Now, Muhammad married a woman right there on his tent at the battlefield. He had just killed her husband. He had just killed everybody that she'd ever known, every man that she had ever known. Now, if you were that woman and Muhammad and you had been brought out shrieking past the sight of your beheaded husband who had been tortured before he was beheaded by having a fire lit on his chest, can you imagine having somebody with a drill, a fire drill and fire making equipment, spark making equipment, rolling that drill on your chest? Oh, I do it every pulling. Tuesday, personally. Yes, well, but you're bigger than the rest of us. So, at any rate, um, she'd been brought up past all of this, and Muhammad threw his cloak over her and said, she's mine. And that night married her. So, if you were that woman, how willingly would you have gone to Muhammad's tent that night? How oh, willingly man. Would, would My you pussy been so wet. I get, uh, I have, oh man, he he's so strong. He killed my husband. He murdered my village. Ooh. He tortured him too. I mean, like, yeah, come on, right. that's bad. Like, like a boss, he, he didn't just kill him. He like fucked a boss. His shit he, up. He couldn't. Yeah, he, 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 he couldn't he, put up he, with that. He did, a, he did a Donald Trump on them. So. Yeah. You know, <laughs> so I mean, basically, you know, you're fired from life. We have a religion that holds this guy up as the the pinnacle of morality, and he's you know he's uh, anything anything but that. Murder, right, murdering people, he's raping Howard. Women. Howard, yeah. uh, some people in the chat room brought this up. You were probably our first guest ever on Drunken Peasants episode number three, and and today this is episode one fifty six. Oh my God! Congratulations. Well, thank you, and. We uh, for for our viewers that may not be familiar with you, we did bring up your bio here. It's right. 
a massive bio. <laughs> uh, yeah, I've done a lot of strange things. Yeah, you want, yeah. You want me to run? run but let's go back to the sex business because this is interesting. So Muhammad also, <laughs> so he married a nine-year-old girl, right? And in the Hadith, the, the Quran is the Quran, and then there's the Hadith. And the Hadith are all of the collective sayings of everybody who ever witnessed anything that Muhammad ever did. And in the Hadith, Muhammad says, get thee a young girl so that thou might play with her. Now imagine what that's like, nude in a tent. Um, so when, when what's his name, Shakao, the head of Boko Haram in Nigeria, if you've seen his speeches, and I wish I had the quotes in front of me, but he says, we will kill you, we will, we will turn your daughters into sex slaves, we will turn Putin's daughters into sex slaves, we will turn Obama's daughters into sex slaves, we will turn good luck Jonathan's daughters into sex slaves, we will have a wonderful time um, trading your daughters in the marketplace. And we don't care if your daughters are only nine years old. We don't care if your daughters are only 10 years old. They're us to enjoy. How do we know that? Because that's what the prophet did, and the prophet is our model. So there's the difference about being the epitome of virtue, which Muhammad is. He's considered the model, the template on whose life you have to build your life. And what did Muhammad do? He, he commandeered 65 military campaigns. He personally led 27 of them, like, like the Battle of Ahud, where he killed somebody. Um, and uh, he did all of this sex slave stuff that we've been talking about here. He had any woman that he wanted from among the, the, the women left over when there was a conquest. And he accumulated over the 10 years after jihad, after he invented jihad, he accumulated 337 square miles of territory a day. So we automatically associate with the word prophet the words of peace, prophet of peace. But that concept does not exist in Islam. You will find that phrase nowhere. Muhammad called himself lots of names, but the name that seemed to really stick was the prophet of war, and Osama bin Laden called him the prophet of conquest. And Osama bin Laden made it very clear that the ultimate aim of conquest is not Israel or Lebanon or Egypt. It's the United States. Neat. <laughs> okay, we're gonna we're gonna we're gonna play some videos. Uh, I don't know if you know how this works, but basically, anytime you want to react to it, just start talking, and we'll stop the video clip. Um, okay, good. The first guy we're gonna watch is a guy we've played on the show a few times before, and he really, really hates Jews. Oh, great. <laughs> yeah. Well, he is ethnically he is a Jew. Also, uh, look. Okay, there's a saying in Israel. Um, yes. The the British hate the French. The yep. French hate the Germans. The Germans hate the Poles. The Poles hate the Jews. And the Jews hate the Jews. <laughs> so if you want a real heavy-duty Jew hater, go find yourself one of these alienated Jews. Well, we found one for you. Okay, great. Uh, I don't know if you can see the screen that we're sharing. I, I am sharing uh, it. And did, did you see your bio on the screen earlier, yeah, Howard? The, the bio was on the screen, but the, the video is not coming up on the screen. The, the, well, the video will come up uh, shortly. Right now it's a black okay, screen right, with you exactly. in the upper right-hand corner. Yes, you, I've got it. That's exactly okay. what I'm seeing. Cool. Perfect, and, perfect. Okay, and don't get don't get too upset if I get carried away by foul language periodically. No, no, no foul no. language is what we encourage. That's our ah. bread and butter. I, dude. To, honestly, Howard, Howard, uh, one segment that we do um, is we look up the most perverted Craigslist ads and we read yeah. them. 
uh, in in you know various voices. Right. <clears throat> yeah, so that's that's something that we do on a regular basis here. Yes. So uh, this is just you know, there, there's no limits on language that can be used. Absolutely well, it not. Sounds like this is an infinitely better version of that science fiction theater show with the little heads in the foreground. <laughs> that's exactly uh, what it is. In fact, we even we even watch movies sometimes and do commentaries. So oh, that uh, sounds terrific. Okay, so roll. Drunken we'll peasant three thousand. Okay, so this is this is brother Nathaniel. And uh, the title of this video is The Jew Who Rule America. <gasps> oh, God. Oh, not that again. Do it. A far greater tyranny <laughs> than anything our founding fathers ever faced is now the plight of America. I'm talking about the suffocating grip Jewry has on every component of American life. At the top of the food every chain component. is the privately held oh Federal Reserve this Bank. Guy, doesn't he? Look at the size of that nose. Uh, <laughs> Uh, the the uh, Mogan David, the Star of David, is in the wrong place. It should be over him. He should not be wearing that cross. Um, there's this thing. Anna Freud, Anna Freud, when she and her dad were still, Sigmund Freud, were, were still in Austria and Germany and the Nazi, prop, the Nazi party was on the rise, um, she saw little Jewish kids dressed in Nazi uniforms goose-stepping on the streets. And she called this identification with the oppressor. There's always an alpha male, there's always a beta male, and there's always an omega. The one at the bottom huh. of the heap gets picked on by everybody. And Jews have traditionally, for 2,000 years, since anti-Semitism was embedded in Alexandria, Egypt, about 2,200 years ago, Jews have traditionally been the group that we pick on. And sometimes living in a Jewish mind at the bottom of society where everybody beats on you is really not that easy. Shut up, Jew! Yeah, I've, people, I've always heard the, the, the stereotype that, you know, Jews are bad at sports, but then I always hear Sandy Koufax being brought up, you know? Well, Jews, look, how many Jews do you see on, on uh, NBA or whatever it's called, basketball courts? No, um, no uh, none, I think. And, and let me give you a little bit of racist information that's real, that's very real. In the 1970s, when I became the leading black publicist in the music industry, it meant I used to get all of the black newspapers and magazines and one of them was called uh chocolate singles and it was <laughs> filled with single ads now those were the days when screw magazine was running the first sexually explicit uh ads and in screw magazine which was for white people 98 percent of the ads were for men looking for women in chocolate singles 98 percent of the ads were from women asked looking for men a very different social mix and the very first words of every single ad were, must be over six foot one. Now, this is the 1970s. People have grown since then, especially in the black community. What does that tell you the black community was breeding for, self-selecting for? Height. Ta tallness. And, yeah, and athleticism. So it's not surprising that the basketball courts are, are ruled by blacks. And, and Jew Jewish women, what do they tend to go for? I want a doctor. They want somebody with credentials, <laughs> they want something with advanced degrees, right? So how many basketball players are going to come out of that selective breeding? Meanwhile, this guy has a, is full of bullshit. Um, a couple of years ago, the, the Guardian, I think it was, ran an article on the 20 most important banks that rule America, and it put Goldman Sachs in the headline. Well, guess what? When it listed the top 20 banks in order of power, Goldman Sachs was at number 11 on the list, and Goldman Sachs was the only Jewish bank out of 20. That's, that's pitiful. 
That's really I, pitiful. The thing I hate the most about yeah, this you guy... you guys suck at ruling the world, man. <laughs> the thing I hate most about this guy is that he ruins this uh, backdrop. Yeah, he, he, yeah. Has such a he has such a beautiful place to film. Yep. Yeah, I mean, Shalom, it looks Bernard. like he's, in, he's probably in Haifa. Um, Unless it's a green screen, but I don't think it is. No, no, yeah. it's not. Wait, it, it what looks is my weird. phone doing? Wait a minute. I didn't turn the volume off. It's uh, uh, blinking and blinking, it's, <laughs> but it's not blinking and blinking here where I can see it. <laughs> oh, God. it's a, it's. A, we're going to hang up on the poor baby. It's a friend of mine who ran a business in the space industry, and the business, alas, didn't do well. Um, and so he's down and out now. It's the price of entrepreneurship. Not all entrepreneurships end up wealthy like Donald Trump. By the way, speaking of Donald Trump, in the very beginning of his campaign, there was a clip that was played over and over and over again on TV. And it's Trump on a balcony at Trump Towers coming down the stairs. Do you remember that one? Yeah. To make to make an announcement of some sort. Well, have you noticed the woman that precedes him? No. She is she is stacked like crazy. She has oh, yeah. breasts the size of. Uh, you're talking about, his, you're talking about his uh, his wife there. Yeah, she might have been his wife. Who knows? And the way her well, she was draped, his his wife is extremely uh, stacked in that regard. So who right. Donald so Trump? Shocked. Donald Trump. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah. Donald, Donald Trump's wife is like, uh, she's well, like a model from. Eastern Europe what? or something like I'm that. Shocked anyway, Howard, you're, you're really great at uh, at digressing from. Yeah, but point. we, we want to play some more <laughs> of Brother Nathaniel. Oh, yeah, we gotta, we'll bro we barely Brother even Nathaniel. we barely even dipped into Brother Nathaniel's beautiful. Yeah, story. yeah. Listen, he serves the Fed's principal shareholders, the Rothschild Group, Goldman Sachs, and J.P. Morgan Chase, who gouge Americans with interest charge on loans made to the U.S. government from monies printed out of thin air. The greatest scam in the history of Jewish swindling. Moving down the food chain right. is Howard. Jewish like, finance. Howard. Crucified. Is there any <laughs> are, no, it should be Romans stoned to death. Who are, yeah, who are willing to, no, the no, penalty is crucifixion. Stoning's yeah, too good for him, only crucifixion. We should light a fire on his chest. Yeah, that's TJ, a good idea. I would say crucify you, TJ, but you enjoy it too much. Okay, back so, to the... Uh, Back so to what? Brother back to crazy him. guy. Yeah. Isn't he great? Yeah. Don't you like him, Howard? I mean, he's well, so likable. Well, he looks like a sweet guy to spend time with. He's got that <laughs> nice smile, but uh, yeah. but what he's saying is so odious that it makes me want to uh, napalm his mouth. It's it's interesting though. Like he's he's like an anti-Semitic Jew. Yes, and that's and, what I've been telling you. I mean, there are rumors that the guy who founded the 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 what's it called the the the, the Inquisition in Spain, Torquemada. The guy who really came up with all the heavy-duty um, tortures—that he was Jewish—and who was who, who was the Inquisition originally there to hound Jews? Exactly. Oh. Where we find the you, usual you suspects the once again: Goldman yeah, Sachs, led by Lloyd Blankfein and Gary Cohn, and Citigroup, where veteran bankers Sanford Vale and Robert Rubin recently placed their Jewish alumnus Jacob Blue as head of U.S. Treasury, keep sending American jobs abroad creating longer unemployment lines at home. Jewish stranglehold on American life this doesn't stop ridiculous. here. I love how he says Jewy. Jewy yeah. stranglehold. Like, I, would, I feel like that should be like a mascot or something. I think it would be awesome if we could get Brother Nathaniel on the show to debate Howard. Oh, well, I show. would love to do that. It's yeah. just, I, would have to get, I would have to restrain. I've never been violent in my life. But somebody <laughs> like this... You know, yeah. tempts you to violence. So, uh, our fans out there, if you can contact Brother Nathaniel, we'll get him on the show, and we we could set up a debate. That that would be <coughs> pretty awesome. We have hosted it would debates. Be amazing. On, 
Yeah, uh, I look, agree. I'm, I'm, I, I hate to tell you this. I'm proud of the fact that Jews make a contribution to American society. <laughs> um, and because there are very few of us, there are like something like five million of us Isn't, in a country of 315 million people. Is it true that that the population of Jews in, in the U.S. is almost equal to the population of Jews in Israel? It is said that, that the population of Jews in the United States is greater than the pop, Jewish population. Slightly, of Israel. slightly. Yeah, yeah. Um, they're they're almost equivalent, but the American is just a little bit bigger. But America is a great big space. Uh, Israel's this little tiny sliver of a country. Um, when when I was last there, it was before the Yom Kippur War and all of that stuff. And before there was any occupied territory and people were so claustrophobic in the country that they either saved everything they could and went off to Cyprus for a vacation because they were getting it was like living in the tiny little closet or Jewish kids. If they were sufficiently brave, would uh, cross the Jordanian border and go to Petra, knowing that if they were caught, they were likely to be tossed back, beheaded with their ears taken off, with their arms and legs taken off and just the mutilated parts tossed across the border. But it was a chance they took because they were so desperate to see something beyond this teeny, weeny little country they were stuck in, which was 15 miles wide at some points, meaning that any artillery, any reasonably modern artillery piece could fire all the way into the country. TJ, uh, is this guy a Holocaust denier, too? Probably. Yeah, I think, I assume a, he probably I think we did see a video about that, too. Iranian yeah. television would love him. They'd absolutely <laughs> oh, I'm I sure. I on Iranian television all the time. Um, and these days they respect me and they don't use me uh, as a pawn the way they used to, but they would love this guy. Hands tightly wrapped around our political apparatus as well. With billions of dollars at their command, Jewish apparatus. lobbies such as APEC, the ADL, the American Jewish Committee, and the ACLU fuel the engine of America's demise. Uh, the ACLU is, is Jewish. <laughs> yes, it has Jewish, it has had Jewish leaders which is terrific. I mean, the, the ACLU does amazing work. The, the First Amendment and the freedom of speech is profoundly, powerfully important. But, you know, the famous incident in Skokie, Illinois, the ACLU defended the rights of Nazis to have a demonstration in the street of Skokie, Illinois. What all the ACLU is doing, and I believe in what it's doing, uh, although sometimes I disagree with it, but um, is is making sure that that First Amendment is paid attention to. And that wasn't an amendment written by Jews. Um, and it doesn't matter whether it was written by Jews or anybody else. It's worth defending. Okay, back to brother, what's his name? Nathaniel. <laughs> Nathaniel. Realization of foreign policy, abortion, mass immigration, and the homosexualization of domestic culture. Linked with political yeah, control with that, is Howard? the emergence. You know, I, I I've heard this. He's we, got his own homosexual problem. I mean, look at this guy. Do you think a woman is going to take him to bed? We we get all sorts of videos from all sorts of weird conspiracy theorists and nutcases. And one that I've heard a lot is that the Jews are pushing a homosexual agenda. For sure. In America. That's an interesting one because <laughs> it used to be said in the 1980s by the folks way over on the conservative right, um, beyond conservative right that the secular humanists were pushing a, uh, a homosexual agenda. And the secular humans were, humanists were inserting pictures they, in, in textbooks. Um, if you look carefully at the little dots, the pixels, of which the pictures were made, you could see little boys with erections and little girls with erect nipples and naked boobs and 
the whole thing. It was crazy. It was insane. These people were saying that their own sexuality had filled them to the eyeballs. And it was so aching to get out of them. What is this thing doing? Um, (laughs) Throw it in the trash, Howard. I'll just say that. that, It's like playing the records backwards and hearing the satanic messages and shit. Like, oh, we we discovered everywhere. Yeah, they used to talk about the secular humanists. And who the fuck were the secular humanists? I mean, what group were they talking about, for God's sakes? Well, it turns out that a guy named Paul Kurtz, who was Jewish in Buffalo, New York, had founded a group called the Secular Humanists. But it was so small that even a person like me had never heard of it. Um, of course, he's, he founded Prometheus Books, which is now my publisher. So it all gets very incestuous. But the fact is, um, the, move, <laughs> the move from blaming it on the secular humanists to the Jews, um, well, okay, so some of the guys who helped Paul Kurtz get this company off the ground were Isaac Asimov, Steve Allen, um, and the amazing Randy. And I don't know about Randy, but the others. All Jews. Steve, hold on. Steve Allen is in the. Didn't he host the Tonight Show? Yeah, he hosted his own version of the Tonight Show. He was big and famous for a long time. He he was pre Johnny Carson Tonight Show. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. He he was creating the roots from which the Johnny Carson Show would spring. So who knows if these guys are. Isaac Asimov was Jewish. Um, I don't know about the amazing Randy. I don't know about Steve Allen. Um, but there were some Jewish people involved because we don't do basketball. We do freedom of speech. That's because um, every everything that happens is always Jews pulling the strings. Yeah, Brother like Nathaniel agrees. Court, every time Michael Jordan dunked a ball, I'm sure there was it was a not uh, a Zionist plot. Yeah, there was a Jew standing above him with a little puppet set. Like, I, oh, ha, ha, the retort to that is always real? Sandy Koufax. Well, Sandy Koufax, he was Jewish. Yeah, and, and how many baseball players have there been since 1898 or whenever it was that Abner Doubleday started I, the game? But, uh, but. And, and all we can find is maybe three. Mo Greenberg, that's a name that I've heard once in a while. So maybe there were two, three. Sandy Koufax uh, is uh, one of the greatest ever, though. Yeah. So that's well, cool. so we managed in a game for yeah. us, but, but, but we, can't, <laughs> we can't seem to cut it in the games where, you know, being bred for athleticism is really the name of the game. Yeah, and there's Sorry, only like, how many. There's only how many Jews are there? Hold on, the hold on. Though, though, Bill Goldberg, though. Oh yeah, he's a, a professional uh, he, wrestler. Well, no, no. But prior to that, he actually played for uh, uh, the Atlanta Falcons. Well, there he was you a, go. He was a pro football player for the Atlanta Falcons. Wow. You know, I'm, his, and then, his, and then, oh, he's gigantic. He's like, a, he, and then he was a professional wrestler, which obviously isn't real sports but it's it takes athleticism it's sports entertainment right. and then right. and then uh and he trains in mma he was never actual mma fighter but because now he's in it i'm i'm, I'm well, guessing I, he's I think pushing you've pretty 50 well and conclusively demonstrated that uh baseball football and basketball are giant zionist conspiracies <laughs> yeah and that there are, hidden, there are hidden messages on those basketballs and in every move these guys make and it's time for somebody to come along and decode the human me- the, the, the the hidden messages. Yeah, we, we found the, the we found the guy. I actually, I heard I was listening to uh, some you know the Michael Jordan dribbling the basketball in an old game, and actually it was right. Morse code for <laughs> Jews <laughs> rule. Bow to yes, your Jewish masters it. over and I over. I heard that. I mean, yeah. just about. Uh, we we've revealed a Jewish secret that no other program has had the courage to reveal. <laughs> Our Glad national security state. Where Homeland Security is fully in the hands of Jewry. Oh, wait a minute. Big wait a minute. sis now, is no now, more. Wait a minute. Brother, what's your name? Brother Nathaniel. Let's get yep. this straight. So Jews are behind the ACLU, which fights for freedom of speech. 
and Jews are also behind the national security state, and yes. yet it's all a Jewish plot? Give me a yeah, break. Of course. I mean, you know, okay, you know, some people, it would be wonderful if the makers of hand grenades made a special <laughs> version that could be coated with KY jelly and used as a suppository because, because poor brother Nathaniel needs one of those. Okay, but enough for my scurrilous <laughs> comments. Back, back to brother Nathaniel. Then Gentile window dressing. The real boys and girls behind our national police state are Michael Chertoff, Joseph Lieberman, Jews don't retire, Diane Feinstein, head of the Senate Intelligence, Carl Levin, head of the Senate Armed Services, and Bibi Netanyahu, who oversees oh, yes. a myriad of Israeli high-tech... Well, we know that Bibi Netanyahu really rules the American state. Um, look, when you go to, if you go to Iran... <coughs> He's my president. That they will tell you in Iran, and they will tell you in anywhere in the Middle East, that the United States is a Zionist puppet. It's an absurd idea. It's a grotesque idea. Um, if, but how do you disprove it? I mean, you know, the, the, the greatest problem, how do you disprove a, a negative? What's that thing in physics that I keep forgetting about you can't disprove a double negative or something of the sort? Um, it's a very, he's, he's right. The people he's citing are Jewish. The people yeah, I don't, citing are both on the right and the left. I don't know, left. but, you know, I, I, I face this problem uh, a lot as an atheist when people come to me and, and say things like, prove atheism is true. It's can't like, do it. it. What do you there mean? I can't yeah. do that. There's no possible yeah. way I can you do gotta that. You got to do it. Oh, checkmate, atheist. I also can't 100% disprove Santa Claus or any other unfalsifiable bullshit. I, I have a question. Hypothesis. Why is this guy dressed in a Russian Orthodox outfit? I don't know. You know, maybe he's cosplaying as somebody. <laughs> yeah. Oh well. Okay. Back to his golden words. All right. Let's but, let's hear way, some more. Obviously, of... golden words because he's Jewish. Yeah. And look, look, Jew, look at Jewish names. Gold, Jews. Gold Jews theme. control uh, so much that Jews even control anti-Semitism. That's, that's right. how deep Obviously. the fucking that, well goes. That is hardcore. You put your finger on it. Yeah, companies that operate well, throughout the architecture of both the DHS and the NSA. In entertainment, Jewry dominates showbiz, where Jews like Larry David, who... Okay, but Jews are pretty funny, you know? Yes, I, that, that's one area where we're good. We're good at schlemiels and schlemazels. Um, I agree. So, yes, Larry, and Larry David, but Larry Charles, I didn't have... When Larry Charles came over to this apartment, Larry Charles is the guy who executive produced the show, Larry David's show that he's talking about. Uh, and he made Borat, and he did some Seinfeld episodes, and... And he came over here uh, to interview me. Well, the guy who ended up plunking himself on the bed that's right next to me, right here, hang on, that bed um, is Bill Maher. And I did not get the impression that Larry Day, that, that Larry Charles is Jewish, but who knows? You never know. They're sneaky, you know? They disguise themselves as all kinds of things. <laughs> They're sneaky. So did you say you had Bill Maher in bed? Because that's pretty scandalous. Yes, I had Bill Maher in this bed for two hours, and uh, the interview uh, was on the outtakes for his film Religulous. You know, it's pretty It's pretty weird. Uh, we we were in Amsterdam just uh, this past spring, and Bill Maher happened to be there. And people were telling us that they – because we were, we were staying in the middle of downtown Amsterdam, and uh, – People were telling us that when they were coming to hang out with us, fans of the show came to hang out with us. They said they saw Bill Maher standing around in damn square over yeah. there. Yeah. Wow, it's too, it's too bad you didn't get to meet him. It was one of the strangest encounters I've ever had. 
Bill Maher, completely dressed in a suit, immaculately made up, walked into this room, lay down on this bed next to me. Again, that bed. Did you snuggle? Um, no, no, we did not do that. But, but there wasn't we talked time. about it for two hours, and I think Bill Maher was thoroughly offended by everything that I had to say. Um, and now, when the interview was over, two hours of an interview in an intimate setting, a bed with a crew of five people around us, um, Bill Maher got up. He didn't say that was nice or thank you very much or any of the little <coughs> social niceties that would be essential to most of us in a situation like that. He got up and he walked out like a robot, like a marionette. And now, um, God knows, six years later or something like that, guess who's mouthing the very lines he got from this bed about Islam, Bill Maher, mm. without having a clue. So so he avoids me like the plague. God knows Do you, why. Have, have you heard Bill Maher's anti-vaxxer rhetoric that What's he spews? Oh, the anti-vaccination rhetoric? Yes, yes. He's into the anti-vaccination stuff? Yes, he is. Oh, my he, God. He has he, been. He claims not to be, though. But he has yeah. been on the record saying anti-vaxxer Talking points. Yeah, and he'll say he's not yeah. anti-vax, and then he'll say a bunch of anti-vax. Yeah, at, at shit the very least, there's some cognitive dissonance going right. on. He's yes, also I into a lot of right. the natural healing kind of stuff too. Yeah, well, you know, yeah. naturalistic day, fallacies galore. Uh, the other day, somebody sent me a, a, a message in which he'd gotten a he'd gotten a text from his um, would-be literary agent, and it said something like. Um, that he would be, uh, he would only be obligated to his contract, or he could break his contract after, after with six months' notice. That's what it was. But somehow, when the agent meant to put in the word um, contract, she put in something like uh, uh, slavery. She accidentally typed a word that had to do with slavery. Um, and and so I put up a little note on Facebook about the fact that you notice every once in a while when you're typing and typing away that your brain has one vocabulary and your fingers have another because very often a word that you didn't intend will come popping up on your screen that you typed and it will be totally perfectly spelled. Apparently the, the self, oh, yeah. the forwards of the self that does your typing for you when it goes off the wall um, has a Happens to me all the time. Yeah. Happens to me all so, the time. I, I mean, I, I'm always writing because I'm writing videos and I'm writing, you know, other stuff as well. And uh, yeah, I, I notice that phenomenon all the time. Uh, so, we're gonna uh, we're gonna change gears. We're gonna get off of Brother Nathaniel and we're gonna okay. uh, listen. We're gonna watch a story about uh, Saudi Arabia. Yeah, uh, okay. this is a CNN the defenders of human rights. This is a CNN uh, news clip. Uh, the 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 headline is Saudi Arabia asked to halt man's beheading crucifixion. Oh, well, that's, that's a very hot one today, because yep. this guy's yep. life is in the balance. All right, here it is. Let's take a look. Friends and family describe Ali Al-Nimr as an optimistic and outgoing young man who loves photography, movies, cars, and motorcycles. We'll see if his but optimism today, pays he sits off. in a Saudi prison, <laughs> condemned to death for the crimes <laughs> he allegedly committed as a teenager. <laughs> Al-Nimr was arrested in 2012 during pro-democracy protests inspired by the Arab Spring when he was just 17. Convicted of charges including belonging to a terror cell, attacking police with Molotov cocktails, incitement and stoking sectarianism, according to Saudi state media. You know, I, isn't beheading and, I mean, crucifixion and beheading, I mean, like, 
It's just which so one much. comes first? That, the crucifixion. crucifixion. Oh, oh, okay. I guess Come they on, crucify ben, him until he's almost dead, and then they behead him. Is that how that works? Or they crucify? Well, him? I, I thought I thought crucifixion was a Roman thing. Why are they doing this in the Middle East? Or am I wrong? Uh, it was a Roman thing, and they picked it up, and they picked it up big time. Especially ISIS. ISIS is very into it. But ISIS beheads you first, and then it puts you on a cross. Well, that's counterproductive. <laughs> Yeah, but so wait, they, is, is that do. what Saudi Arabia is going to do too? Or are they going to crucify him first and then behead him? I don't think they'll crucify him at all because they're trying to look like a civilized state. But Saudi Arabia is up against a very big problem. Um, there is a Shiite population. Saudi Arabia is Sunni. There's this huge war in the entire Middle East going on between the Shiites and the Sunnis. Yeah. The entire Syrian, what we've been sold as a Syrian civil war, is a proxy war between the Shiites of Iran and the Sunnis of Saudi Arabia. It's a sock puppet war being waged by proxy armies. Um, Saudi Arabia has a problem. It is a Sunni state. The kings and royal family of Saudi Arabia are Sunnis. But there is a little sliver of land that has a mostly Shiite population, a population that can easily be stoked by Iran, which is trying to stoke any population that it can to take over all the marbles in the Islamic That's world. It, it it's kind of the same thing what happened in Iraq where you know Saddam Hussein he was a Sunni and then when he fell out of power the Shia population in Iraq kind of started to become more prominent and then that's where they they were revenge. getting and 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 then they got backing from Iran in the region right, also exactly well they didn't just I'll tell you the story of that in a second but the the point here is that the little patch of land that the Shiites live on has almost all of Saudi Arabia's oil. And the Saudis are scared shitless that um, this, this population of Shiites will either try to kill them, because that's what they're being told to do by Iran, um, or will try to go independent and ally with somebody else and take away their oil. That would be the end of Saudi Arabia as we know it. And the power plays that are going on in the Middle East are just this nasty. And kids like this throwing rocks, when you get a kid like that throwing rocks, he's a potential killer. Um, a, a, a guy was killed in Israel last week by a rock thrower. He was hit in the head by a rock, and that was the end of him. He lasted in the, in the hospital for several days, and then he was gone. Um, so there's a more serious problem going on here than CNN is letting on to. Should this kid be beheaded? Not on your life. But is he a total innocent? Well, if he's anything like no. the stone throwers and the Molotov cocktail throwers we've seen all over the world, those are lethal weapons. All of them are lethal weapons. I agree. Weapons. I agree with you um, there. David um, did away with Goliath with a stone. If, if so, but if someone asked me, uh, would you take the crucifixion first or the beheading? I definitely choose the beheading first. You, yes, you want to choose that. Well, yeah. you just don't. Have, you're not sexually adventurous enough. Oh. Now he but, is but, said to be uh, executed, hold on one beheaded second. in this Let's public square more. in Riyadh, with the added rare punishment of crucifixion. His body displayed after his death as a warning. Okay, so he would be beheaded first and then crucified as a warning yes, to let people plan. know, yeah. like, don't and fuck don't with do us this or this will, this will be you. Yeah, uh, but then the world fortunately is protesting against this. I'll but tell you what, though. Iran, here's how Iran gets into the picture. Um, once upon a time in 1981, two years after the Iranian Revolution, first when there was this big upheaval in Iran, and the revolutionaries managed to throw out the guy who'd been running the place, the Shah, and who'd been running it with a lot of support from us. Um, they threw him out despite the fact that their standard of living had been going up dramatically. But it turns out that people have revolutions when their standard of living is going up, not when their standard of living is being held down. 
um, they managed to get rid of him. And the secular revolutionaries thought they had won the revolution. They were exulting. But uh, this little-known guy called the Ayatollah Khomeini had been holed up in France, and he flew in from France with a whole bunch of copies of audio tapes of his. And he and his gang took over the revolution. And the seculars were, well, a lot of the seculars were executed. Um, when he Good riddance over, to him, well, secular he, pieces he, he of shit. Can, he told his followers, this is the real Islamic revolution. This is the Islamic revolution that comes from Muhammad and God himself. So within minutes, we're going to take over the entire Islamic world. The entire Islamic world is 13,500 miles wide and contains 11 times more territory than the conquests of Alexander the Great, seven times the size of the Roman Empire, and it's uh, five times the size of the Roman Empire, and it's seven times the size of the United States. He's talking about taking over a big bag of marbles. And the, the bag of marbles that was going to go first was Iraq, the country right next door that sh shared holy cities with Iran. It was going to be easy. No problem. You've got God on your side, right? Well, so they went to war with Iraq in order to create another Islamic revolution in Iraq and make Iraq a part of a grander ummah, of a one-party state. And it didn't work. For They fought for seven years, 1981 to 1988. They spent a trillion dollars. They lost a million lives. And they ended up in a standoff, a total standoff. And then somebody in Iranian intelligence said, remember the ad, let's let Mikey do it? No. So there's this bunch of kids sitting around the table, and they're looking at this oh, it's cereal. Oh, right. It's a cereal yeah, ad. Yeah, the cereal yeah, thing. Right. Yeah. So somebody in, in the Iranian intelligence came up with this brilliant idea. Let's let Mikey do it. Why don't we just do something that's really low budget? We'll falsify a bunch of documents. We'll, we'll get a bunch of people who will parade themselves as defectors from Saddam's uh, Iraq, and we'll send them to the United States. And we'll convince the Americans that the Iraqi, that Saddam Hussein is manufacturing nuclear weapons and chemical and biological weapons. Then the Americans will knock Saddam off his throne for us, and they have more trillions of dollars than we do. And guess what? It worked. It worked. That's why George Bush Jr., otherwise known as George Bush the gullible, um, and, and his vice president. Uh, I used to call him uh, King George. Yeah, well, so King George the dummy. So that's why his administration swallowed all this stuff when we went to war in Iraq. I mean, here we've been hit by a group, Al-Qaeda, that was headquartered in Afghanistan. Why the hell we were, were we hitting Iraq? Because it worked. Getting phony documents and defectors, they got these defectors even on 60 Minutes. Well, when you read 60 Minutes, you reach Congress, the CIA, military intelligence, and the White House. Let me ask so, you a question about... Uh, yeah. about it's, it's not uh, exactly on the same line of... Uh, well, I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a related thing. What do you make of this, um, this rift among liberals uh, where it seems like some, the more like PC, social justice warrior type liberals are all galvanizing to uh, defend Islam from what they perceive as like bigotry against Islam, Islamophobia, whatever. And then the other side of the left that points out that, you know, the values of Islam are pretty illiberal and not really in line with liberal values at all. So, you know, we really shouldn't be uh, siding with, with those values in any way. TJ, where, where do you fall? You're a racist spectrum? just for saying What that. do you think of the, the whole debate and that's been going on? I mean, you said that Bill Maher jacked some of your, your lines earlier. Um, you know, Bill Maher's gotten a lot of shit for those lines, too. 
Yeah. And that's been and actually he's like... It. He's finally observed it, even though he doesn't remember where he got it from. Um, <laughs> I, th this liberal thing bothers the hell out of me, because I'm basically a liberal, even though I try to float way above the cliches of both the left and the right. Try um, to be above the paradigm, cliches, yeah. Yeah, those cliches are monstrous. And it's hard to get above the paradigm, but, you know, that's where I'm stuck, above the paradigm outside the box. Um, and the liberals who've been conned into thinking that the Palestinians are a poor, oppressed people and that, uh, the, that Israel is the new Nazi state, um, which I was told by a bunch of liberals who came over to visit me when I was still stuck in bed. One of them was a number three in the Communist Party of the United States. Um, at the end, at the, they said, never say you're a Zionist. Communism. Someone was saying you're a Nazi. So at, I think they've been conned. I think that they don't understand that, that Saudi Arabia alone has spent $80 billion on conning them. Um, the biggest PR budget in the history of the world. That, it, that Saudi Arabia is not alone in conning them. There are 57 Islamic nations. All of those <laughs> nations have representation in Washington, D.C. All of them have lobbyists on K Street. Um, all of them have a PR apparatus. And you add up the Islamic lobby's budget, and it's beyond belief, utterly beyond belief. They've been conned, and they've been gullible enough to fall for it. Um, and they've been gullible enough to fall for it for a simple reason. I, I don't know, TJ, I might have told you this story before. But once upon a time in the 1940s, a bunch of guys were exploring what's called the frustration-aggression hypothesis. A hypothesis that says when you get frustrated, what do you do? You get angry and take it out on somebody else. And they'd pretty much proven it. They did an experiment in which they put seven rats on the equivalent of a hot plate, and they turned up the heat to scald their feet to see how the rats would respond, if they would respond with anger of any kind. Well, the first rat, the rats went through an instant process of what we now call quorum sensing. They felt out immediately who the six strongest were and who the one weakest was. And then, guess what they did? The six strongest got together and beat the shit out of the weakest. If you look at the history of societies, Every society has its alpha male, its leader, its beta male, its lieutenant, you. its joker, and, and its nerd. It's, it one, it's one on the bottom of the group that everybody gets to pick on. And Jews have been traditionally the ones that you get to pick on for 2,200 years. And Muhammad built Islam on the bones of Jews. Um, every time he did not quite win a battle, every time he couldn't pay not only his followers but his helpers, his Ansars, Every time he couldn't pay them off with the two payoffs that really counted, loot and glory, the ability to just brag your ass off. Um, when he couldn't give them that, he picked a Jewish village and he attacked it. And he what? either did an ethnic cleansing and took over all of its territory and all of its goods, or in one case, he killed all of the men and took all of the women as sex slaves. And he deliberately killed all the men and took the women as sex slaves to terrify the shit. <laughs> out of the people of Mecca, because when he took Mecca... Speaking, he of, speaking home, of terrifying shit, let's, yeah. let's change gears again to, uh, okay. to, Donald, to Donald Trump. Finally. We got, yeah. we got a Trump Finally someone here. reasonable on this show. Finally. Otherwise known, Donald hey, man, Trump, otherwise um, I guess we've been trying to turn around as Donald Trump says that Obama is waging a war against Christians in this country. I thought that was like the, the harshest thing I've actually heard about Obama. I don't think it's fair, but it was... Is that really the harshest thing you've heard about him? I mean, yeah, I doubt that. No, I've heard Come far on. harsher things. Yeah, he's me a too. Marxist, and he's trying to socialize the entire country, and he's a closet Muslim, and he's trying to take over the entire government for the Muslim Brotherhood. And he and wasn't he's definitely a communist. In the United States. Yeah. So this is a little no. This is not the the worst thing in the world. And but how they could say he's attacking Christians 
I have no clue except for that he's for a secular government. Well, what it what it boils down to for them, what it boils down to for them mostly is uh, is the gay marriage thing, which you know Obama really didn't even Obama didn't even really like engineer that, but. Uh, you know, most most of the conservative Christians are framing the the federalization of gay marriage as um, an attack on Christian Tate values. Rats. Obama didn't even support gay marriage during his first. Yeah, civil uh, unions only. Yes. Yeah. It was well. It was so only a second I, term. He saw which way the wind was blowing, though. So the tricky thing is, remember those seven rats on the hot plate and how they picked a victim and then beat the shit out of him, all of them. Um, well. When we humans do this in the context of human societies and we demonize a group, we project all of our sexual frustrations on them, all the things we would love to do sexually but never get a chance to do. And so the, the easiest thing in the world is to attack with sexuality. Back in the days of Pompeii, before the city was, was blizzarded by the effusions from a volcano, um, there were political campaigns. And in those political campaigns, to, to attack your rival, which was a big thing, you put up graffiti, and the graffiti would say, so-and-so was a whoremonger. In other words, you would point to this guy. I would vote for that person if I saw that. Ah, uh-huh. <laughs> well, no, so-and-so is going to make you a whoremonger. At any rate, Neat. Um, a big promise, yes. But the point is that when you attack sexuality, you attack something that's sort of built into the system. And it's built into the system for a very simple reason. When chimpanzees establish a dominance hierarchy, and there's an alpha male. The alpha male gets all the sexual privileges in the group. He gets to fuck any female in the group that he wants, and when another male tries to to fuck a female, the alpha male comes up and stops it, absolutely stops it. So if anybody of lesser status is going to get any nookie, they have to do it behind a rock or behind a tree, or they have to be very sneaky about it. Well, we're all got to be covert. You got to be like TJ. We're all built with those same instincts that operate in that alpha male. In fact, so were all the other chimpanzees. They're built so that if they were allowed to take over the alpha male position, they too would police the, the territory and make sure nobody else had sex but them. So and Donald Trump with, is the alpha male, right? Well, Donald Trump tries, and he certainly demonstrated that he was well, the he, alpha he, male when he had that stacked female parading in front of him. Yeah, and, and also the, uh, the, you know, that he's constantly ahead in the polls, and he's the richest, and he can constantly brag about how great he is. And he has the best hair. Come on. Yes, right. and the best hair. The best but hair you've ever seen. Far none. Have you ever thought about doing that, Howard, where you just grow your hair really long and then, like, comb well, it my, over the top I, of your head clumsily? Uh, my hair is a little too wild to do that with. Um, oh, but, you just need the right uh, products. Yeah, well, I guess it could. I mean, my poor mother, she was in a state of torment. Her hair never straightened. It was like mine. It was absolutely uncontrollable. Um, but no, Donald Trump's, is that a wig? That he no, I, no it's his, I believe it is his I natural think that's his hair. hair. I think what it is is he just has very a little hair, over. but he does it's as a comb over, as, yeah. He does as much okay. as he can. It's a to make series it of like, it's a series of it's comb a professional overs. comb over. He, He's mastered he the art of comb do over. Do that for him every morning when he wakes up? Probably. Probably. He, he says that he spends two hours on his hair a day. Oh my God! What a waste of time! But of course, I know. Yeah, really. Time. And Two Donald hours Trump's for time. something that looks like a cat spit it up. Yeah. Good job. Well, uh, I, I hope that a few of his investments have actually paid off. Trump Tower, I suppose, does okay. Um, his casinos really didn't. Carly Fiorino was right. How's a guy who went belly up four times, who went bankrupt four times, claim he can run an economy? 
But Donald Trump doesn't seem to know anything about much hey, of but anything. D- hey, States. Howard, those guys that he ripped off were assholes anyway, so it's okay. That's what he said, yes, yeah. exactly. Well, he said, well, I'm you know, sure, they, were, sure they were jerks. When he, was, when he was buttering them up for money, do you think he told them they were assholes? Nope. Probably not uh, then. He conveniently yeah. forgot then. But after yeah. he wasted all their money and investments, that then then they yeah, became then assholes. They were assholes and deserved it. Now there's something seriously wrong with Donald. Kind of seems like he's true. the asshole, doesn't it? Pretty strange. Well, the difficulty the difficulty is that the very policies of the Republican Party have been the same since 1872. Um, take all regulations away from the super rich and take all tax burdens away from the super rich. And every time they've managed to try it, they've brought about a depression, a huge, catastrophic, monstrous, enormous depression. Um, the long depression of 1873 to 18, uh, when, what was it, 18, or I don't know. It ended about It, it doesn't even later. know when the first depression ended. Yeah, sorry, go Well, ahead. no, this is the first one that occurred under this particular policy of removing regulation sure. from the super rich and stopping ta- and not taxing. But you, don't, but you don't even know the year where it ended, so obviously you don't know yeah, what you're I talking about. Liberal I've, nonsense. I've, I haven't looked. I haven't consulted my notes today. But and the, the, the depression of 1929 to 1939, that was uh, on the Republicans' watch. And then, of course, the Great Recession of 2007 and 2008, that was on George Bush Jr.'s lot. But we all know those were just Clinton policies. Catching up. You know, yeah. Catching up with him. Well, the point is the Republican Party has never learned from these catastrophic failures. And the Republican Party is a party that appeals to ignorance. Why? Because if anybody knew the history, they wouldn't be in favor of these particular policies. Once upon a time, there was a more flexible Republican Party. Um, under Lincoln, there was a far more flexible Republican Party. Under Teddy Roosevelt, there was a far more flexible uh, Republican Party. Under Dwight D. Eisenhower, there was a far more flexible Teddy Republican Party. Teddy Roosevelt ended up leaving the Republican Party and running, what was it, With Bull, the Bull Moose? Moose Party. Yes, yeah, exactly. But one way or the other, these guys Too bad never caught have on. policies based on brain work. Well, it doesn't take any framework to keep reiterating a policy that's left over from 1872. You just repeat it like a parrot and ignore it when it doesn't work. So the Republican Party doesn't have learning in its uh, in its collective brain, at least not right now. Learning's overrated. But there's a lot of people in this country that do feel that there has been, uh, you know, unfair well, you know, treatment. Re- job. Um, I know, right? She looks like yeah. Elvira's, like cousin or something i don't even well, know she looks like poor baby uh, give her another five years and those cheeks are going to really puff up and fold over themselves and she's going to look a little bit like a bulldog but we shouldn't say <laughs> that because we're sexist that's we so mean say, yes. okay yeah you know you're eat, gonna the, the twitter all feminists are gonna eat you alive howard the let's twitter just, feminists uh, are gonna eat you alive masculinely well, so let's, fragile let's just make this equal sex by pointing out the fact that donald trump is even worse because Donald Trump's got this puffed up, uh, uh, almost drunkard face, and his belly is probably a hideous thing to see, his poor wife. Um, and no, she's not a poor wife. That's why she's his wife, because he's rich. Um, and that comb over is really, ah. Uh-huh. So we've, we've got two people. We've really, ah. Uh-huh. Now she's a winner two- to be with Trump. You know, I mean, uh- look, nature is not kind, and nature makes us rumple, crumple, and sag. And nature's about to do that to the two people in front of us on the screen, or is already doing it to poor Donald. You know, okay, uh, but we'll ignore that. 
I took a, I took some LSD and I was watching. <laughs> I was oh watching a Donald Trump. Interview. I like I like how that story starts. Yeah, I was taking. I took some LSD and I was watching a Donald Trump interview, and the pores on his face just kept getting bigger and bigger. <laughs> like seriously, well, though, but. You know, even well, on his note, like, just... That, that someday, Donald Trump is going to be a poor man. Uh, oh. oh! Oh! Yes, you were seeing the future, TJ. Neat. You had crossed into another plane. The Twilight Zone. Yes. Christians, there's been Donald statements Trump that the future. president has made that has really been that cause for alarm when he's addressed groups and the way he's talked about Christians and the holy wars and all of that, saying that make, uh, liking it to some what, what some of these like radical you know terrorists have Does done have about religious you know mind? extremism. Does she have any substantiation for this bullshit? Um, it's Fox News, so no, no, statements? not at all. Oh my God! It's fantasy television. Okay, back to back to the news. The news. Fox News. Fair and balanced. Fair and balanced. Faux news. And accurate. Showing the parallel between the two. As far as uh, Trump's concern with respect to this, I think that to me seems like a complete plant. It was a setup. Yeah. It just sounds fake it's a joke, and, right? and ridiculous. It's almost comical so the way I, that was delivered. He had an opportunity to go ahead and just handle it and correct the record, et cetera, et cetera, Jones and say, listen, now. don't talk like that about the President of the United States. But then the guy said, well, my question actually is. So then he answered the question. It was, you know, You've got to be so on your A game every second at this point because especially when you're front runner, this just goes to show you, you've got to be on I'm top. I'm sure it was a plan. I mean, maybe it was a joke. It wasn't. But if you actually look. Right, there's no question about this. Whether it was a plan or not, that person was enunciating a point of view that has been pushed in the right-wing corners of republicanism um, for the last eight years or so, ever since Barack Obama appeared as a candidate. It's a fantasy, you know, this business that he wasn't born in the United States as he is closet Muslim, all of that stuff is total fantasy. But I know lots of people who believe it. You didn't I need think, to have uh, a plan. I think Hillary supporters pretty much spearheaded that. Well, that's a rumor, and Hillary denied it today, but, you know, it's hard to believe Hillary. I don't... We have these it, it, No, no, hold on, hold on. It's not hard to believe Hillary. It's, it's almost impossible. It came out when Hillary. he was. It came out when he was running Don't against Hillary. Hillary there was no Republican candidate anywhere at that point that he was competing with directly. He was competing against Hillary, and it, it the rumors came out the day after the Iowa caucus. That's when people got the mass emails. He's really? Muslim. Well, that's well. I saw them showing up all over the Republican, the the real right. Oh well, yeah. Well, they they ran. They ran. Oh, they've embraced it, it completely. Yeah. Right. But yeah, but, I mean, I hate Hillary. Here's though. the real problem. Here's the problem with this election cycle so far. We don't have. We're we're aching for an authentic candidate. We're aching for a candidate whose honesty we can believe. We were sold a bill of goods under Barack Obama. Change. Yes, that's what we were sold. Change. Transparency. Honesty. We got instead the NSA, the NSA cover-ups without Donald Snowden and, and uh, Chelsea Manning. We'd have no clue as to how big we were being snowed, uh, how big the blindfolds were on our eyes. The only credible candidates, the only seemingly authentic candidates are Bernie Sanders, who I think misunderstands how an economy works, but at least he's telling it for real as he sees it. And um, Donald Trump, and I think. No, well, I Donald think he's Trump authentic. Is, who understands how uh, how an economy works better, Donald Trump or Bernie Sanders? Uh, 
Donald Trump, but he's a monster, or Bernie Sanders, but his ideology is monstrous. I see. So I we're, see stuck, we're stuck in a peculiar... Marco Rubio is one of the most compelling speakers that I've ever seen. He is pretty damned amazing. The problem is, well, you know, we need a scorecard. Why has nobody shown us which billionaire is behind which candidate? Because every candidate had to go out there and find his own billionaire um, to, to make it as a candidate, to make it this far. Who's behind Marco Rubio? I have no clue. And in American politics, these things should be labeled as clearly as the contents of a ketchup bottle are labeled. We should so why, know why, why, the major why don't you like why don't you like Bernie Sanders? Because I, I think everyone on the show supports Bernie Sanders. True. I like Bernie Sanders. I don't know about voting for Bernie Sanders. Bernie Sanders says that the problem with our economy is we have 23 different kinds of deodorant, and that's what we're wasting our time and our money on. And we should be putting that money into lifting the poor or something like that. Bernie Sanders, and that, that we we are following this myth, says Bernie Granders, Bernie Sanders of a, an economy. That, that thrives on growth. We don't need a growth economy. We need our economy to start grow, stop growing. You stop growing our economy, you stop a basic process that's vital, that's vital to this very cosmos itself, something that the universe has been doing ever since it invented life on this particular planet. Growth has been a part of life's modus operandi from the beginning. Those 27 different forms of deodorant, people use goods like that to distinguish their identities. And in distinguishing their identities, they end up making many different contributions to society. They're each looking for a space on, on the platform of attention. And by doing that, they enrich the society. They create the creative elements that make a society move forward. These things may seem trivial to us, but that's because we're stupid. That's because we don't see I what's think anyone, right I would say that anyone who identifies with their deodorant is stupid also, though. But yeah, well, but the thing I mean, is, though, I mean, like, uh, you know, I mean, I like growth. I mean, growth is good. But, I mean, like, isn't growth tethered to, to resources to an extent? I mean, can we really just afford to grow and grow and grow? I mean, does, doesn't that eventually head, you know, don't we eventually create a bubble that leads to a big collapse? Well, for every ounce of bio stuff, and that does, doesn't just mean stuff we've consumed and turned into part of the process of life. It means the things that plants have consumed, that animals have consumed, that bacteria have consumed. For every ounce of that living stuff on planet Earth today, there are 120 million ounces of dead stuff just waiting to be kidnapped, seduced, and recruited into the process of life, into this grand experiment of life that we're a part of. So the growth, the, the running out of resources line is not for real. We're running out of imagination. I mean, bacteria, two miles beneath our feet are turning granite into bio stuff right now. If they are so smart, why are we so stupid? You know, if they can do this, why do we see all this stuff under our feet as not a resource for life at all? Why don't we understand that our mission is to do what every single other plant and animal on this planet and every bacterial colony has done, grow our asses off to kidnap, seduce, and recruit as many data, dead atoms as possible into this collective enterprise. But when you, I mean, like, don't we, and we have to learn things from something like, uh, you know, the Dust Bowl or something like that, where, yeah, you know, we, we just, we treat, we treat resources, you know, too casually and yes, just feel like they're unlimited. And we, you know, we have to understand the properties of the things we use, not just. Yeah, we have, we have to learn from every catastrophe. And, and when, whenever we can, we have to harness catastrophe and turn it into a power source. That's what we did with fire. I mean, can you imagine what fire was a million years ago? to our ancestors, um, 
a forest fire could catch a blaze, and then what would happen to the grasslands? They would catch fire in a very short amount of time. You had no place to run, absolutely no place to run. If TJ, you had been the clever one who had said one day, I'm going to go in there while all that stuff is burning. I'm going to grab a little piece of that stuff, the flame, and I'm going to make it, I'm going to tame it on behalf of humanity. All of us same, Australopithecus or whatever we were, Homo erectus, would have said, you are crazy. You are nuts. You go in there, you're going to be burned to a crisp. Um, but somebody had the courage to go in and capture flame. And we've done the same with the, the explosions in an automobile engine. Those are explosions, for God's sakes. And we, that's a, they are disasters, and yet we harvest them. Um, we've learned to harvest a small number of the natural things that happen around us. There are many, many more things. I mean, we've harvested the, light, harvested the lightning. That's what provides the electricity for all practical purposes in our computers uh, right now. Um, but that's nothing compared to the number of challenges that are out there just waiting to be harnessed. This is one of the reasons that Bernie Sanders, as a choice, and I love Bernie Sanders in his own way, and Donald Trump is such a disappointment. These people don't have vision. But don't um, vote. You know, you can be against Bernie Sanders, but man, just don't vote for Hillary. Please don't do it. Well, I, I probably can't don't. do that. Have you voted for Hillary Sanders. before, Howard? Have you voted for Hillary before? No, I, I've never voted for Hillary. I voted for Barack Obama twice. Um, well, I, I wasn't. Uh, do you live in? Uh, did you live in her uh, senatorial district? I'm not sure. The wife that I had at that time went and gave her a copy of one of my books. But that was in upstate New York someplace. I'm not sure where her Senate seat was. Um, it was in I, New York I, State, so. That's, yeah, it's New York. That's right. As a senator, she would have represented New York State. No, I don't remember voting for Hillary, uh, and I was probably in bed and couldn't vote. No, I had an absentee ballot. Who knows? But I've come to distrust Hillary profoundly because I don't have a sense of who she really is. That's what I feel, too. Like, she feels very reptilian, and I don't feel like her true personality ever comes across she, she feels yeah. very like manufactured and calculated and every word out of her mouth there's I, I don't really get a sense of her like humanity at all on any and level that's where authenticity comes in now there when i was stuck in bed back in god knows when 1990 somewhere between 1998 and, and 2001 a uh, friend a friend emailed me from texas and he said i've always wanted to work with you on a project can i come to your bedroom and discuss one with you so he came up here and he said, look, I'm involved with a guy who is probably going to be a presidential candidate. And you've taken people like Prince and turned them into superstars and Joan Jett and a whole bunch of others. And would you please be willing to possibly work with me on this candidate? And I said, basically, I don't care which party it is. This country is dying for authenticity. This party, country is dying for honesty. If he will let me do what I used to do with my rock stars, demand anywhere from one to three days of his time after I've read every word that he's ever that has ever been printed in the press about him or from him, um, and get a sense of his soul and get him to base his his entire campaign on who he really is and what he's really passionate about. If I'm allowed to do that, then yes, I'll get involved. Um, now it turned out that the, the the candidate that he was talking about was George Bush Jr. We George, I think that's George W. Bush. Uh, George and, and, W. Bush. Yeah, they got rid of the Herbert and, for him for some reason. Yeah. But for some, but but that shows you how long it's been since we've had a candidate you could trust or believe in. Um, it's, it goes back 15 years at least. In fact, if you traced it back, it probably goes back more like 40 or 50 years. 
Yeah, well, um, you know, uh, I think Obama was a candidate we could trust and believe in. He just wasn't a president, a president we could we trust, trust and believe in, believe you know? In. Yeah, um, it's, it's, uh, it, it's shocking, but we do need an authentic leader. And if Donald Trump turns out to be that authentic leader, God help us. But, I mean, do you think he is authentic? Because he seems very authentic to me. Like, he comes out, he's a braggart, he pretty much wears his ego on his sleeve. You pretty much know all of his personality faults because he doesn't even think they are faults. He's just like, yeah, I'm an well, asshole, well, I'm ruthless, I'm, I'm vain and self-absorbed, and I'm the greatest, You don't think it's false bravado at all? You think it's genuine? Yeah, well, you've just, TJ, you've just given a brilliant summation of Donald Trump and the message that he gets across. Um, and the other message that he gets across is everything will be better with me. I will make it work. You know, Doesn't I remember someone, someone asked him uh, about Putin. What are you going to do about Putin? And his answer was basically, Putin will like me. I'm Donald yeah, Trump. That, that was his answer. That's yeah, exactly, I'm, me, exactly. me and that, I'm going me, me, to go everything. down there. I'm going to shake Putin's hand. We're going to bond. We're going to be friends. This is going to be great. Right. And people um, are like, yeah, the, that's a substantive answer. It's like, that's not a substantive answer at all. That's just total bullshit. Trump, they just want rhetoric. He's basically saying, I will accomplish it because just, I'm Donald Trump. It's just rhetoric. I'm me, right. And the difficulty with that is this. If Donald Trump, who probably said lines very much like this to the investors that he got together, the tens of millions or hundreds of millions of dollars he used for his casinos in Atlantic City, who probably said, everything's going to be wonderful. You're going to like it. Trust me, I'm Donald Trump. And then he fucked them in the end, right? Um, he went bankrupt in the end. If Donald Trump couldn't handle the problem of Atlantic City, and if he felt that he did brilliantly because he knew when to get out, he knew when to go bankrupt, um, there is no such thing as opting out of the relationship with Russia. There is no such thing as opting out of the relationship with uh, China. Um, these are serious things that are going to go on for generations to come, and you can't run away from them. And Donald Trump ran away. He ran away four times. He wasn't able to do what he promised, and then he demonized the people who gave him the money to do it. And that's the argument of one of my video clips on the Howard D. Rungus series. If he's fucking the people who gave him money, what's he going to do to you and me? He's going to fuck us twice as hard. Yes, because we count for far less than those yeah. people, and he's going to demonize us. If we oppose him, he's going to demonize us. He's say, going to say we're being mean to him. Except that he's president, he doesn't have to use a nice word like mean. He can use what he really means. He can say that we're doing things that are unacceptable. If you thought Nixon's enemies... Traitors, was, terrorists, whatever. Yeah. So if you thought Nixon's enemies list was a problem and a threat to this country, Donald Trump's enemies list, which he will think, he won't think twice about, because that's his due. I'm Donald Trump. I'm Donald Trump. How dare they challenge me? Um, you can kiss your First Amendment goodbye. And my First Amendment, which I live on, without freedom of speech, I'd be a dead man. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Howard, well, maybe it's not so bad then, TJ. Howard, did realize. you, uh, the last time you were with us, um, we talked about your book about how you accidentally started the 60s. Uh, did, right. Have you written any new books since then? Well, I, you know, I wrote the book The God Problem, How a Godless Cosmos Creates, and that's about to come out in paperback on February 2nd. And Barbara Ehrenreich um, wrote the introduction, and she says that the book, in essence, she says that the book is an is the cusp of an evolution of a revolution in science, that for 350 years, science has been uh, necrophilia in disguise. To understand how a pigeon flies, the first thing you do is kill the pigeon. Then you cut its uh, tissues up in little tiny pieces. You can see them through a microscope, 
and you take another bunch of tissues and they run them through a centrifuge. Everything you do assumes that deadness is the answer to the universe. And what she says is, we're on the cusp of a living universe, of really looking at what living means. And the book that's going to start this, the book that is the harbinger of this, is The God Problem, How a Godless Cosmos Creates. So bless Barbara Ehrenreich um, for saying that. And then I asked my um, publisher for a year off. I got another book coming up, but I haven't written it yet. I've only written 40,000 words. It's called Everything You Know About Nature is Wrong, The Case of the Consumer's Cosmos. Um, and uh, I, I asked my publisher to give me a year off because I, I have wanted a, my own television series ever since I saw Jacob Bernowski in The Ascent of Man in something like uh, 1970. And I've taken a year off to really seriously pursue that. So the television series I'm after is called The Grand Unified Theory of Everything in the Universe, Including Sex, Violence, and the Human Soul. And it tells you if you try to put your finger through your palm like this, it doesn't go through. Why doesn't it go through? Because of protons. So are the protons, if you can't put them through your, if you can't put the protons in here, past the protons in here, are those protons a part of you? And then the next question is, are you less than 100 years old? And no matter who I ask that question of, the answer is usually yes. Well, then how old are the protons that make you you? They're 13.7 billion years old. They were born in the first sliver of a sliver of a sliver of a nanosecond of this cosmos existence. So if I'm going to tell you Blank your story. time, yo. Yeah, well, I'm going to have to tell you, if I'm going to have to tell you your story, I have to begin with the Big Bang and take it up to here. And I've broken that down into 77 mini episodes, and every single one of them is a shock and a surprise. It's told from a point of view you never expected before. So that's the premise of the gut, the grand unified theory of everything in the universe, including sex, violence, and the human soul, and we're working on it. And then I'll go back and do um, everything you know about nature is wrong, the case of the consumerist cosmos. Assuming I can resell it to my publisher after having taken over a year off. We'll see. Let's move on to another video. Yes, let's move on to another video. Let's crunch, munch, and uh, digest another video. Let's see. Um, I'm eating some nuts right now. Here's a clip... I guess this is fairly old, but we've never played it on the show before. It's a clip of Ben Carson oh, great. Who, saying that the theory of evolution is the work of the devil. Cool. Oh, my God. Of and course. Came out today with the Big Bang as a fairy tale. By the way, can I just say something before we run the video? This yes. criticism of Donald Trump and this female Fox commentator who was commentating on him, the, on what age is doing to them with Donald Trump, Trump's paunch and hair. And, and her uh, about to sag jowls. This is nature's work. Nature builds us to focus on sexual cues, uh, ripe lips, uh, bright flush on the cheeks, uh, big eyes that focus on us with intensity. Big eyes. Big tits. Yes, all of that <laughs> stuff. That's nature's doing. So when we talk, when we comment about other no, people's No, that's patriarchy is what that uh, is. Yeah, right. And, and, and yeah, like, sure. So yeah. at any rate, it's that's patriarchal into, like, social institutions. That has nothing to do with yeah. biology. You're so, crazy. So, yeah. So that's that's that explains why at certain points uh, a male chimpanzee is attracted to a female chimpanzee, and why the mice that make out or the birds that get to the top of the heap end up screwing all the other all the females in the group. Although it's, that, that's not usually true of birds. But it oh, is by the way, Howard. I, I, but before we get to the next video, and and let's let's handle this. Uh, we can handle this pretty quickly. 
I mean, I don't know. It's hard to do anything quickly with you, Howard, because you like to you like to pontificate. But um, you know, I, I saw your video about your your anti aging uh, thing, right. and. Right. Um, you know, I, I went and took your picture, and I put it on my... I just took a, a, a random screen grab from the video, and I put it on my Twitter, and I asked, how old do you think this guy is? And, and everybody yeah, answered 182. No, no. Most, peop most people did say that you looked like you were in your 50s, and you are, in fact, 72 years of age, right? Yes, is that correct? Yes, wow. that's quite true. Wow. That's absolutely correct. I, I got a dog bite on my hand uh, a month ago. How did that happen? What was that? Oh, what? a dog. I pet every dog that I see. And I pet the wrong dog for the first time That's in my life. That's a mistake. Yeah. Tens of thousands of pettings. So it was a it was a pretty savage wound, and I went back four times for uh, rabies shots. So one day I was taken in by the physician's assistant, and she sat me down and she said, "I don't have my screen in front of you with my information on you. Can you tell me how old you are?" And I told her I was 72, and her jaw dropped. So she made a game out of it. She took random passing doctors and physicians assistants and nurses she grabbed them out of the corner she paraded them into the room she pointed to me and she said how old is he and they said uh 52 uh, 58 and then of course she gleefully revealed my age so yeah there's a there's a, an author named joel agee and he's astonishing he writes for the new york review of books his dad was james agee who was uh, wrote Let Us Now Praise Famous Men or something like that, this towering book of the 20th century. Joel's work, his, his book, uh, In the House of My Fear, I think it's called, is absolutely mm -hmm. terrific. And Joel, and Joel wants to do a book on this aging process, and I, he wanted me to do it, and he said, or this anti-aging thing. And I said, I don't have time for that. I've got to do my books of ideas. That's really what I owe to my audience is new perceptual lenses with which you see everything in them and everything around them from a radically different point of view. But if you can reverse said, our aging, we have longer to read the books. You know, That's so. true. So he said, okay, what about if you talk the book? Um, talk the book? He said, yeah, what about if you talk it to me? So we're training Dragon Software right now, <laughs> and we're going to do that because um, I want you to know this stuff. You know, nobody in my audience believes this, but I did 1,100 push-ups on, on Monday without stopping in a row. I did 1,000 push-ups yesterday, and I did 1,000 push-ups again today. And about <laughs> two months ago, two months ago, I reached 1,400 push-ups without stopping for the first time in my life. And when I, was six, when I was 19 years old, it reached my absolute peak. I could only do 92. I'm stronger than when I was 16 years old. I have more energy when I was, than when I was 16 years old. I have more optimism than I had when I was 16 years old. I, my youth began now. It didn't How long? Back I'd be lucky to, to get 50 push-ups in right now. Well, then I would have been proud of that, too. But I, when I started, I had this new girlfriend, and I didn't want to sag. I didn't want to be subject, subject to the things we're criticizing in Donald Trump's body and this poor narrators or whatever she is, commentators, face and body. I didn't want to be subject to that at all. So I thought, okay, if I can do 15 push-ups, it'll be a big deal. And I started with 15 push-ups. And then whenever my body allowed me, I increased it. And I've been doing it steadily for six years. I started when I was 66 years old. And the number how old, how old do you expect to live, Howard? What, what age? Predict well, your age of death to me. Uh, my, my dad died at the age of 82. 82 seems to be a very popular number for my generation of people or the generation just ahead of me. So maybe I've got 10 years to go, which is a very short amount of time. You don't but think I'm your anti-aging process will, uh, will extend your life at all? I don't know. Uh, you know, I went to the doctor the other day because your, your, your health insurance gets hold of you periodically by, by email, 
and tells you you should just go get a preventive checkup. So I went to the doctor the other day, and he did all kinds of sonograms on me. They took each one took 45 minutes, and and they came to the conclusion that my body's in magnificent shape. So hey, I don't know, uh, and and but I will try to reveal this formula because it's a whole lifestyle that I've worked out. Completely I think it's because a fly went through the transporter with him. <laughs> it could be the Illuminati secret potions, TJ. Yes. Anyway, uh, let's uh, let's take a look at this Ben Carson video. Okay. Let's oh. talk about good old Ben yeah, and his, uh, I'm, I'm dying of anticipation. Who isn't? Interestingly enough, this is a relatively modern science concept. Before Darwin came along, it wasn't. You know, scientists... I'm sorry, what? Before Darwin <laughs> yeah, came along. Darwin just showed up and was like... Before yeah, it was... Okay, evolution is a relatively modern concept. Before Darwin come, came along, it didn't exist. He's wrong because the concept of evolution began to evolve um, 60 years before Darwin, over 60 years before Darwin came out with his grand book in 1857. Darwin's grandfather wrote two books about evolution. His grandfather, Erasmus Darwin, wrote two books about evolution. People were putting together the story, even Kant, Immanuel Kant, wrote a book in which he imagined the universe starting with a Big Bang. People were putting together the elements of a secular story of the genesis of the cosmos and where life fit into it um, in the 1700s. Um, what Darwin did is he added what was called a mechanism, and it's a very bad name for what Darwin added, and that's natural selection. And Darwin, and there was an ache for an idea, for an evolutionary idea. Hold um, on. I'm sorry. I, I have to interrupt just for a second. What is, what's the objection to the term mechanism? Well, the, the term mechanism comes from the fact that Newton was this, he, he loved machinery and he had his own toolkit and he put together model machinery and the high tech machinery in his neighborhood was a windmill and it was absolutely the latest technology. He went as a kid, he studied the windmill, he built a copy of the windmill that if you blew on it would actually grind up a little piece of grain. Um, he was fascinated with machinery. So this was during his universe. spare time when he wasn't looking for the philosopher's stone. Yes, yeah. so this is before he got <laughs> looking for the philosopher's stone. So he so he began to see the universe in a, in a metaphor, and the metaphor was a machine, like the machines that he had built when he was a kid. And so it became not just popular, but obligatory in science to look for the machine metaphor under everything, and that was called the mechanism. So even though Darwin took a, a so-called mechanism from farmers who sat around deciding how to breed the best sheep, the best cattle, the best pigs, who were obsessed with breeding the best sheep, the best cattle, the best pigs, how? Through very deliberate selection of the female you're going to breed and the male you were going to breed. You know, that's a really that's a really good idea, but I think Ben Carson really has the answers. So we're gonna well, we're gonna listen see. a little more of yeah, him. It's like uh, Sir Isaac Newton, considered one of the most uh, scientific minds ever, inventor of calculus, so many things. Also an alchemist. So, right. yeah, strong belief in God. Big mission right. outreach. Isaac Newton, sure, he is he right. Strongly yep. believe in God. He's right about that. No denying that. Historical yep. record. Einstein. When you think about genius, what would the word would you come up with? Einstein. He believed in God. You know, Not really. Uh, ben, stop lying. Yeah, um, that's kind of bullshit. Believed in what he called Spinoza's God, and Spinoza's God was the sort of divinity, the magic powers alive in the cosmos. 
He did not yeah. believe in a bearded guy with a bathrobe in the sky. Yeah, Einstein thought the notion of a personal god was was ludicrous. But yeah, for okay, some, so but just because. So wrong. was he more but, of a deist? We'll you, I mean, there's a margin of error here. It could be interpreted that way. So we'll give you this one. I mean, I guess you could say Einstein was maybe kind of a deist, but I, I think he was he more was using God. It, he would have agreed it, with Thomas. Look, there were a bunch of. It's a very. It's a very who, like. Uh, yeah, go ahead. This, this, this is something very important. There was a bunch of subversives sitting around the table together in approximately 1770, um, discussing some very, very subversive ideas, which, which were going to un totally undermine North America. They were going to push secular humanism on America. And they were actually attempting to, they would soon attempt to actually um, put their secular humanism down in documents with which they would control, control in a monstrous way an anti-godly way, the United States. Their names were Thomas Jefferson, um, Madison, um, Adams, um, and, and George Washington. And George Washington kept his views pretty much to himself, but the rest of them were deists who believed that if there's a God, it's implicit in the universe. It's in the forces of nature. To read God's mind, read nature's book. And Ben Carson would have regarded them, and so would that woman commenting on Fox TV, as conspiratorial people trying to take over North America with a godless atheism. And they gave us our, our Bill of Rights. They gave us our Declaration of Independence. They gave us our Constitution. Yeah, well, they've just rewritten history to say that they were all committed Christians. So I know. They have. You're not kidding. That's not an exaggeration. They have rewritten history to say that. Okay, right, back to Ben Carson. A lot of people believe in God, but I personally believe that this theory that Darwin came up with was something that was encouraged by the adversary. And uh, let's take a break it here. Has Who become does he mean by what the adversary? He means Satan. Satan. That's the name for Satan. Okay, the number of the ben. beast. That's yes, me. That's so, TJ. Yes. Uh, do we want to put a man who carries a personal Satan around in himself in the White House? Oh, no. This man has just demonstrated that he is committed to a personal Satan. And then he wants a personal Satan for all of us. Fuck him. Okay, back to Ben Carson. Is scientifically, politically correct. Amazingly, there are a significant number of scientists who do not believe it. No. But they're afraid uh, to say no. Yeah, it's extremely insignificant. It. Extremely yes. insignificant. Right. Uh, you know, not not to say scientists. that you know, not to say that you know, science uh, scientific consensus equals reality or anything like that. No, it but you're, it's, a, it's a collective fantasy, like every other uh, subculture's vision of the world. You're 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 you know, but you're you're basically you're misrepresenting what scientists believe at this point. A significant right. number of scientists do not deny evolution. That's a just silly. A significant amount of money has gone into founding things like the Discovery Institute to get across for propaganda purposes the idea that scientists do not uniformly believe, universally believe in a secular cosmos. Um, and yes, they've managed to get a few people published and they put an enormous money, amount of money behind those few people. And sometimes the arguments of those few people have been are not arguments of enormous value in advancing science. Nonetheless, it, it's an insignificant number of scientists. A significant number of scientists believe in God on a personal basis. But it doesn't interfere with their science. No, they're not denying evolution. They're not denying evolution just no, to have their guy. they're not denying evolution, and they're not denying the Big Bang. And in fact, there's a legitimate argument about the Big Bang, a legitimate scientific argument. I did a debate online 
um, two months ago or so um, for Cosmoetica with three people, all of whom are science people and all of whom believe the Big Bang idea is false. So look, science is about debate. Science is about questioning things. But when you bring up things like the adversary, you are in Never Never Land. And that's not science anymore. Well, what if he's, okay. I think maybe he's just talking about, a, uh, you know, an impersonal adversary. You know, he's, he's, he's I don't he's, think so. Yeah, I you don't know, think so. he's talking about the because negative remember, connotations of the universe, you know, yes, the destructive remember, forces. Um, there, since uh, I'm an atheist, right? So there are no gods in the sky. There are no gods in the earth beneath us. There are no spirits drifting around us. So when you bring up the adversary, what are you bringing up? You're bringing up somebody that's in your own fucking mind. That's where the adversary stays alive, is only in your mind and the minds of others who agree with you. And he obviously has a committed Christian audience here who understand exactly what he's talking about when he's talking about the adversary, when he is saying that the idea of evolution is satanic. Um, now, he's a sweet guy. I think he's an ignor ignorant as shit, but so is Donald Trump. The two of them are on a par when it comes to ignorance. Um, but he's a sweet man, and his sweetness, because people need some sort of honesty, at least his sweetness comes across as a tremendous relief from the, the backstabbing that goes on in a presidential campaign or any political campaign. Well, he's kind of like the polar opposite of Donald Trump in that regard, I guess. Well, he, but they're on the same pole. They're on this, you know, to have a imagine a curtain rod, and you've got these two things at the ends, right? They're attached to the same curtain rod. Yes. They're just at opposite <laughs> And one end. of the things that I'm hoping to do over the next a few years uh, one of the books coming up on my docket is called The Organ of Species not The Origin of Species The Organ of Species The Origin of Bullshit The, the Organ or The Oregon Organ Trail He has dysentery He's dead I choose yeah, oxen would be lower intestine and the anus but at any rate Oh yeah We're going to talk about the organs of the body and how they completely refute evolution and uh, several other oh, things wow, as well. Total ignorant bullshit. So that people who are believers will have some something they can grasp onto that is done in a way that's not too technical. Because you know when you look at a lot of the if it's complicated, it's hard to understand. Come on, they use technical terms to define technical situations, and you don't know any more than you. Yeah, that's my always been my problem with creationists. Too technical. Well, in the debate, Ben Carson, I guess it was Donald Trump who said something about vaccines causing autism. And uh, they turned to Ben Carson because he's a doctor and should know whether or not vaccines cause autism. And the bottom line was that Ben Carson was trying to say um, that that's false. But what he said to begin his rebuttal was, you're a very good doctor. Now, if you disagree with the guy, how can you say you're a good doctor? Aren't you going to mislead your audience um, about this? You're a good doctor, even though I think you're wrong on medical issues. You know, I mean, yes, it doesn't. Exactly. It, yeah, That's it's it. it's a very. Uh, it doesn't make sense. It contradicts itself. No, but, but so, that so Trump's a master at that, though. I, you know, I was watching some Donald Trump speeches, and I, I was almost like tempted to tally how many times. He amazingly contradicts himself within the same sentence. Or goes off on tangents that have nothing to do with anything. And then there's other times where he con it takes two sentences for him to contradict himself. You know? Well, there's this word, this magic word in evolutionary biology, display. You know, peacocks go through a display, they show off the feathers to show who is the most fit peacock in the group, um, who's <laughs> eaten the best food during the year, who's got the most self-confidence, stags go through it. 
Um, lobsters go through it. Um, birds go through it. All kinds of animals go through it. What we're watching is a parade of display mechanisms. And Donald Trump, is, his speeches are excuses for a parade of, beta, of alpha male signals. Uh, those are called um, uh, dominance signals. And, and what Ben Carson is trying to show us is a peculiar yeah. kind of submission gesture. Um, that I am sweet. I am kind. Um, I am lovely. And he does. His smile is sweet and kind and lovely. It's, it's just uh, a problem when he opens his mouth and says things like he is in the middle of saying right now. Yeah, I mean, and, and you know, it's it's pretty, it's really strange, you know, these people that go around having to like declare themselves alpha males. Like, I'm an alpha male. You guys are all beta males. All this other stuff. Oh, have you God. have you heard about those kind of these kind of guys that actually like openly identify as like I'm the alpha, alpha male, male, bro, alpha male here? You know. Well, Donald Trump is a perfect example of that. Although I haven't heard him use that that word, alpha. Yeah, I mean, but uh, th there's actually people on the internet that go around calling themselves alpha, alpha male here, bro. Calling What's other up? other guys I right. disagree with beta males and shit. Yeah, it's pretty amazing. pathetic. Well, on micro penis, TJ. It's a would-be dominance gesture. It's definitely a dominance gesture. They're asking others to challenge them, and and they're putting themselves in a position to come out on top. They're gonna if pee they're on smart. your YouTube channel, TJ. They're gonna piss on it right in what front of you. What if they're not smart? What happens to them then? Well, if they're not smart, they can be demolished. Um, oh. but, but if they keep, interesting. But look, if they, but persistence is an amazing thing. If these guys persist despite being demolished over and over again, they'll come out somewhere. They will accomplish something, no matter how small. So an inspiration, an, an inspirational speech for our would-be alphas out there. Yeah. Right. All you alphas, stick to it. Every time you're knocked down, you get back up. I get knocked down. But All right, I'm not gonna stop. Stop. I'm just. I did stop. Stop, TJ. I realized. Like a carried away. Are you on drugs, TJ? Calm but, uh, down. Hold on. Let's uh, let's move on to another video. I think we've pretty much torn Ben Carson's ass apart here. Uh, you would like to do that, wouldn't you? Oh yeah. He's so sexy. Um, <laughs> let's. Uh, but, the other, but the other the other person who's putting out alpha signals is Carly Fiorino. She is so sharp. Um, she has such great answers at the tip of her tongue. Um, she yeah, I was impressed with her rhetorical skill, honestly, yeah. Yeah. Um, well, to be able to come up with a few key facts, like Donald, how can you say you're going to run the economy when you've gone bankrupt four times? Um, that's pretty good. And for a woman who tanked one of the biggest tech companies yeah, in America, HP. Hewlett Packard, to be able to just rattle off the tip of the, tip of the tongue, I doubled the, country in, or, or I doubled the company in size during my tenure. She's got those factoids, no matter how untrue they may be. At her, at her tongue tip, and it's a remarkable thing to see. Well, fortunately for them, most Americans are not going to fact check. Anyway, we're going to move on to uh, I don't know, Ben. What do we have here? Wild Bill. We have oh, Wild we have a video boy. from Wild Bill. You're you're in for a treat here. This is one of the, our regular guys that we feature on our show, and he is brilliant beyond measure. A super genius. He's got a ten gallon hat, an IQ of one million. <laughs> So, so smart. Off the charts. Here we go. Guns, Bibles, and freedom. Hello, everybody. Wild Bill for America here. A couple years ago, Mr. Obama made a rather snotty remark about Americans bitterly clinging to their guns and Bibles. Clearly, Mr. Obama has very little understanding of the American way of life. We don't, I don't know. bitterly like cling to our guns and Bibles any more than Rosie O'Donnell bitterly. Yeah, I mean, that seems like a pretty apt summation of, of America. 
I think he was talking mostly about middle America, too, you know. Clinging to flyover states. In their Bibles. Well, I, I wanted to hear his reasons for clinging to his guns. You know, there, there are some Americans, I'm astonished by this, just a radio show host that I adore. Um, he's down in Arizona someplace. Um, he, un, under one name, I think he goes as Dr. Sky. Um, and, but he's got, in addition to his show on science, he's got a show on guns. And he's had me on both shows. I can't believe these guys who think that their gun is an indispensable part of their manhood. It's ridiculous. Don't they have a penis, for God's sakes? It's their um, second penis. Yeah. Penis well, 2.0. This right. one's big and black. And when all, when all of these shootings take place, it doesn't occur to them that, that if there were fewer guns, there would probably be fewer shootings <laughs> in other countries. They don't have as many guns, and they don't have as many shootings. You don't, believe, you don't most, believe in freedom. That is the most anti-American communist sentiment. Yeah, anti-freedom now. Yeah, I know, because the Second Amendment, they somehow block out the idea of freedom of speech and the other freedoms in the Constitution and believe that this freedom is the only freedom. But if I've read that clause correctly, it says, it says for the sake of a well-ordered militia, Americans shall be allowed to have guns. Well, that doesn't mean that Americans can have unregulated guns. A well-ordered militia is a heavily regulated, uh, disciplined, controlled militia. A well-ordered militia. And these guys are using guns for the sake of their own personal identity statements. That's not exactly what the Constitution was talking about. And even then, it says it doesn't. It says right to bear arms. So I mean, right. shouldn't shouldn't everyone? If if that's what it means, shouldn't I be able to have like ballistic missiles in my backyard if I want? Yes, to? Well, that's a good point. Yes, that's a very good point. I think you should be. And let's make sure that they're. Oh, did you see that the uh, the Chinese today? Um, they unveiled their newest version of the Long March rocket, and they put up twenty satellites at a time with it. Neat. Yeah. Now I have a into the characteristics of that rocket yet, because those of us in the space community, you know, Buzz Aldrin kidnapped me into founding this thing called the Space Development Steering Committee about nine years ago. And so I've been an insider in the space community. In fact, I've been, TJ, I never got to tell you this. I've been co-designing a multi-planetary mission at Caltech. Cool. Um, sponsored by the Keck Institute for Space Studies. It's amazing. So we're all, <clears throat> we, we are all huge fans of Elon Musk and SpaceX and think that his rockets, not just the Falcon, which he's got now, but the Falcon Heavy, which he's going to start flying in two years, and then his, his uh, it's called the BFR rocket. Um, his BFR rocket is, is, stands for Big Fucking Rocket. Awesome. Um, and beyond that is the Mars Colonial Transport Rocket. So we're Not as cool of a name. Yeah, but we're looking forward to these rockets with enormous relish. And the difference between Elon's rockets and the rocket the Chinese have just flown, which is obviously a big fucking rocket, um, is that Elon's are going to be reusable the way that airplanes are reusable. You know, you don't uh, take a flight to New York from Louisiana and throw the plane at the Atlantic and then buy another plane to fly back home again. If you did, you couldn't afford the trip. Um, so Elon's rockets are designed to be reused over and we'll, over and over again. We'll get we'll get on the subject of space in a bit. Let's let's uh, let's travel to the stranger terrain of Wild Bill's. Yeah, I'm reasoning here. Early clings to a pork chop. We love them because they are vitally important tools that bring and protect freedom and life for our families. The Bible has words of life and hope eternal life, solutions and guidance for any difficulty in life. No, it does not have solutions and guidance for every <laughs> um, difficulty in life. It was written 2,000 fucking years ago. It has advice on slavery, yeah, though. Longer. 
Yeah, well, I mean, you know, it was compiled and, and you know, from, you know... Translated, who knows, edited, who you know, know... Who knows how old the oldest text in the Bible is, but... Right. You know, the well, point it is, it, it doesn't... It, it doesn't have... for an era when an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth made sense. We don't take <laughs> that kind of bodily vengeance anymore. We've evolved significantly beyond that. We don't stone people for adultery anymore. Um, if we did, there would be no software pop, soap operas. Hey, if it's supposed to be an eye for an eye and a tooth for a tooth, shouldn't it be an adultery for an adultery? You know what we should do? Uh, yes, uh, that's a good one. Yes. Uh, let's let's do a little more Wild Bill, and then okay. uh, I have an article that I'd, I'd like to go through, like a news article. Not an article. Okay. An article. Okay. An artichoke, yes. Oh, man, I can Make some spinach artichoke dip. Ooh, yeah. We're not going to give it up. In fact, we're going to put it right back into American culture where it belongs so that everybody can enjoy it, especially oh students in the public schools. Yeah, because you can't even find a Bible anymore. You can't even find us. You can't even find a Bible in America anymore. No, I've been able to find one. <clears throat> not it's like one. Christianity oh, is, is a forgotten relic. <laughs> Is he talking about putting the gun in the center of American society or the Bible in the but, center of American society? I think society? both. Both, oh, preferably, God. I think. Yeah, God for him. save us. Okay, I'm going to send any money I can, any spirit change I can find to the ACLU as quickly as I can. We love our guns because they're fun. Shooting sports are a great American it's tradition. Fun. Plus, Sorry, a gun in the hall or on the hip tradition. brings great comfort when ugliness arises. And frankly, Mr. Obama, you seem to be one to stir up ugliness that threatens American families. We all saw shoot the it. riots that were yeah, right. quietly instigated by your minions, and we've all heard the direct threat of your What's race war. Instigated by Obama's minions. The riots, like the uh, race riots, Ferguson. Things, things like Ferguson. Uh, Ferguson. Okay. okay. Obama snaps his fingers and then a race riot erupts. Um, yeah, because you know amazing. Obama is okay. the secret ruler of all black people. Yes. And, so uh, these, these these shootings of black people and this poor woman in Texas was taken into custody. If you've ever watched, I think her name was something like Sandra Bland. Um, if yeah. you've ever watched the full 60-minute video of her arrest, uh -huh. one of the most appalling uh, violations of the American Constitution you have ever ever seen in your life the way that she's bullied and degraded by this little twerp of a policeman and, and eventually jailed. It is hideous. If it happened to you or me, it would be monstrous. And it could happen to you and me. What do you think, what do you think of, uh, what do you think of the sentiment that, you know, if black people don't want to be harassed by the police, they should just stop committing stop, so much Stop crimes. being criminals. Because we have, we, we've, we've heard that, uh, that phrase before. Yeah, but we've watched things. Thank God for video. You know, thanks to GoPro and whatever other video cameras there are out there, we can now see what police are doing. And we've seen some pretty wretched things. Okay, so this guy bolts and runs away from his, uh, from his Mercedes, of all things. And a policeman stands there as if he's taking aim in target practice and puts eight bullets in him and kills him. I mean, since when was running away uh, a, a capital crime? Uh, and you're supposed to be tried for crimes. Um, and this guy had done nothing. He had done nothing. Absolutely nothing. He was a threat as he the, ran away. Yeah, the policeman had, the policeman was harassing him. And the same thing was happening with Sandra Bland or whatever her name is. What would you the say? The was doing monstrous things to her. What would you say to people who say that in, in America, black people should be profiled as potential criminals because statistically, black people commit more crimes? It's true. Because Statistically, black people create uh, uh, commit more crimes. However, to what extent is that statistic an artifact of the fact that blacks are arrested for just about nothing? 
I mean, I have and should they be profiled as such? No, he's got uh, my friend is, is so many. I have a bunch of black friends. They're so middle class. It's ridiculous. They're they're such upstanding citizens filled with civic virtues that it would blow your mind. But any I know whether when they leave me um, and they go walking out on the street. They could be profiled at any minute and slapped up against a, uh, a, a police car and taken in for nothing, for absolutely nothing. And they could be beaten for absolutely nothing. They could even be shot for absolutely nothing. That's the plight of being black in America today. So it is true that there are more blacks in the black community. I once had a black assistant for a week. She filled in for my normal assistant. And it came, she was here at the time when whether we should put video cameras on all policemen was a big subject in a local election, a mayoral election here in New York City. And I asked her what she thought about it. And she said, absolutely. Well, no, I asked her what she thought about profiling. And she said, I'm glad they do it. Why was she glad they do it? Because there's more crime in the black community than there is in the white community. So it's a mix of problems. But if you read Ta-Nehisi Coates, I haven't read his book. I've just seen his, his articles in The Atlantic. You'll see how blacks were consistently screwed out of money and out of stature um, for the last 150, well, it actually goes back 450 years. Um, so there's a two-sided argument here. And it's not as simple as uh, all we need is a gun and we can shoot anybody we want because black people are obviously the cause of every problem. And shooting a black person will always take care of our problems. It's not that simple, Wild Bill thugs to hunt down and Other murder thugs. white people. We see the illegal foreigners streaming into our nation with no background checks. And Trump, we see build the wall quick. National see, Bill, Bill, I what do you have? Foreigners, I see them on my block. I see little Asian women on my block and I see Mexican men on my block who have these shopping carts. Somehow they turn them into enormous trash bundles. They've got these huge bags strapped to them and they are trying to go through everybody's trash when nobody else is around. Late at night, I see them at two in the morning. Um, they and they are leaving everybody's trash so immaculate that nobody even knows they were there. What are they doing? They're doing sorting for the sake of, of re whatever it's called, refurbishing, replenishing, re, re reusing, for the sake of reusing, recycling, um, recycling. That's the word yeah. that the rest of us would never ever have the time to do. Why are they doing it? Because they're working their fucking asses off to gain a foothold here in the United States. And what do they do once they gain a toehold? Well, they go to work as cab drivers, they work that and they save, they work they work 18 hour days, they work seven day weeks, they save and they save and they save until they can buy a medallion, where they end up opening their own shops. And some of the shops opened by so-called illegal Mexicans are some of the most brilliantly colorful that I've ever seen. Where um, we live here, uh, we have a lot of Somali refugees and a lot of them are like taxi drivers and Uber drivers. Yeah, here. right. <laughs> well, you know, those people can be lovely, and they're Muslims. And another thing to comment about, about Islam, you know that I was on the hit list in 17 Islamic countries for a whole bunch of years. You know that there were sit-down strikes against me from CARE, the Council for American Islamic Relations, and from the American Arab Anti-Discrimination Committee in the lobby of Penthouse of Omni magazine, actually, uh, for four days. You know I fought these people. They have tried to put me out of business. They've tried to make sure I never publish another book again. But the fact is, some of my best friends are Muslims, and and roughly, my guess is, 50 to 70 percent of the Muslim community is as as middle class, as decent, as pluralist, as tolerant, as modern as you can possibly be. And they're some of the best people on the face of this fucking earth. And they have gotten away from the anti-Semitism that Muhammad curses soul um, built <laughs> into the basis 
of his fucking goddamn religion. So they have an Islam that is a religion of peace. And that's 50, roughly 50 to 70% of the Muslim community. So I prize the experiences when I get into a cab with, a, um, with, with an Egyptian cab driver, and he lets me sit in the front seat with him, and we talk for an hour and a quarter. Um, and he tells me what's going on in Egypt, or when I'm with a, a Yemeni cab driver, and he tells me what's going on in Yemen. Um, those people end up prizing me, and I end up prizing them. My producers on Iranian, I appear on Iranian and Saudi TV all the time. And I'm a fucking goddamn Zionist atheist Jew, for God's sakes. They let me debate one-on-one with a senior official from Hamas. They let me debate one-on-one with a senior official from the Muslim Brotherhood. And, they, and they're people I love, and I think they love me at this point. There are ways to make peace in this world. The, the sheikh who made Dubai what it is today, who built the world's tallest building, and who is prime minister of the United Arab Emirates, named a racehorse after one of my books, after a book by a Zionist atheist Jew. If that doesn't show a path to peace, I don't know what does. The 11th president of India. Who's <laughs> what a was the name scientist. of the racehorse? The racehorse is the beast, for the genius the of the beast, the radical wow. revision of capitalism. <laughs> and the, the 11th president of India, Dr. APJ Kalam, who's a rocket scientist and behind a rocket program that's gotten over 70 satellites into space, including one that's circling Mars at this very moment, said my work is a visionary creation and he's a Muslim. When I was called on to, to create a two-day intensive seminar on reperceiving <coughs> leadership for 10 CEOs and general managers, I was called to do it in Kuala Lumpur. All 10 of the people I did this thing with, all CEOs and general managers, all wonderful, fantastic, creative people, every single one of them was a Muslim. There is a way to peace. I can see it in my own fucking goddamn life. But there is also the dark edge of Islam. And there is the fact that Saudi Arabia has been planting um, madrasas, religious schools, and mosques all over the world, including all over the United States, including Mexico, including Japan. And those madrasas preach Wahhabi Islam. And Wahhabi Islam is what led directly to Al-Qaeda and Osama bin Laden. The Saudis are doing this even though the knife of Al-Qaeda is at their throat that the people in Al-Qaeda, Al-Nusra, and ISIS want nothing better than to behead the royal family of Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabians have been playing a very peculiar, peculiar game. But the Iranians, look, they got us to take Iraq and hand it to them on a platter. Lord knows we what have, we're going to hand them next. We have an article that we want to uh, look over here. Okay. Let's take a look at, uh, this is something that Ben thought would be interesting, so let's take a quick look here. about how they um, had to change the deceptive language yeah. that, that voters are going to see for the marijuana initiative that's taking yeah. place here. And why is it misleading? They called it um, a monopoly. Um, I don't know how much you know about it, but basically uh, there was a super PAC here that got enough signatures to be on the ballot to legalize recreational and, and uh, medical marijuana in Ohio. Right. They got about 750,000 signatures, and uh, the loudest opposition to it are people who are against the fact that initially um, the, the amendment will be written into our Constitution as 10 uh, companies will pretty much have the the growers, the commercial growing market locked down. Yeah, you can basically grow it on wow. 10 parcels of land. Um, that, doesn't now, sound, that doesn't sound very capitalist to me. Now, one thing about it is that 
for personal use, home growing will will be legal, and gifting will be legal, and they will right. also but they're going. Sales? Uh, sales from personal, uh, yeah. So, so, like, you couldn't just, like, grow it in your house and sell it in stores. Now, you can open a store and sell it, but right. where, you're, where you're getting it from, that's, that's uh, one of that group of investors. Yeah, you're, you're basically... Yeah, they ba- they're basically... You don't want to write government-controlled monopolies into a law. I wouldn't say it's a monopoly, though. <clears throat> well, well, 10 companies, I mean, that's crazy. I mean, so in the, as I understand the marijuana business, there's an incredible amount of entrepreneurial energy going into raising the absolutely the most effective marijuana around. <coughs> and people are being very inventive in the way that they're going about it. And the marijuana today, I'm told, has 10 times as much power as the marijuana of 1965. That is definitely um, true. Yes. So you want, you want that entrepreneurial God energy. bless now. Yeah, I I think just in my opinion I'm going to vote for it because I'm I'm done with criminalization, especially for things like here in Ohio, if you get any drug-related crime against you, they can take away your driver's license for up to 6 months. Oof. Okay, yeah. that that makes it hard for you to make a living in Ohio. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, and you know, it, it's happened to several people that I know. That's that's the most benign thing that can happen to you, right? Yeah, I mean, we we, we I think we we all we're all in agreement that the fact yes. that the ten there there's only I ten agree companies with... allowed to grow it is jacked up. But our our thing is like, let's vote for this now and and try to improve upon it later because well, I would agree with you. I mean, criminalize you know being criminalized now. But uh, unfortunately, there's a lot of people who are purists who are trying to defeat this measure on that basis but the problem with that is that there's going to be people going to jail there's going to be people losing their licenses there's going to be losing their jobs but the, being denied jobs honestly the crazier thing about it is not even this uh, piece of legislation that is responsible ohio which would legalize marijuana but only for these 10 companies to grow it the crazier thing is this uh, issue 2 on the ballot right which basically, if that was passed, would um, make it impossible for marijuana to ever be legalized by a popular vote. Well, that's yeah. hard. Um, and it's because on... the fact is that this is a battle between subcultures over their favorite recreational drugs. And the alcohol subculture was under the same kinds of pressures in 1850 um, that marijuana is under right now. There were a whole bunch of women who really did not want their husbands coming home drunk. They blamed it all on beer. Beer was new to the United States. It had come over with the German immigration in 1842, and they were trying to make sure that beer places could not exist. Well, now alcohol is the recreational drug of choice for those who claim to represent the majority. Um, the fact is, and marijuana is the drug of choice for a different subculture. The well, subculture I'll tell you, that doesn't feel that it's part of the mainstream. The, the, I must um, belong to both of those the, cultures. The craziest thing about it here, though, is that the loudest opposition, I guess it's not so crazy, actually, because, I, I mean, I understand where they're coming from, but it's just I never thought it would happen. The, the, loud, the most vocal opposition to it here are people who do smoke or are pro-legalization that are just against you know, the, the actual financial capitalist side of it. Right. Yeah, they basically just want us to pass legislation that says anyone can grow mar- any amount of marijuana and sell any amount of marijuana, and it's just totally pure 
Well, I think, I'd be for that too because the fact yeah, but, is that when you compare but, I mean, the that's damage not gonna done pass. by alcohol, that's not going to pass. Done by marijuana, um, the damage done by <laughs> alcohol is far, far greater. Yeah, but um, we're we're talking about Ohio, the the purple state. You yeah. Know? So I mean, it's where North and South kind of meet. Like to the south of us is Kentucky, and to the north of us. Well, and also West Virginia, and then to the north of us is Michigan. So it's it's such a mixture here that if you want to pass a law like this in a state like this that's so mixed, even you know with a Republican governor and everything. Well, I'm with um, PJ that a law like this is an advance, and that you have to yeah. take your advances where you can get them, and then move forward to perfect things. Um, marijuana, so far as I'm concerned, is it's like any other drug. Any good thing in excess is a poison. That's true of alcohol. We actually sell a. We actually on on the very screen that you're sharing. We have a, a sign that says "Smoke Pan Every Day." Yeah. Pan yeah. is our euphemism for pot. I like so. the T-shirt that uh, that they have though. Do you see it? The Ohio. I don't. Says, get Ohio. It says Ohio. Oh Ohio. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that's but you know, I mean, we—I would say I do smoke weed every single day. <laughs> yeah. So I don't know if it's a poison yet. Do you? They how will, do I know oh, when I, it's a poison? I, I know people who've smoked themselves into oblivion. Um, yeah. I know people who just lost any sense of will, of persistence, um, and and have made themselves uh, non-contributing parts of society. But what's worse, they made themselves basket cases. But let's and, remember, you know, I've I smoke weed every day, and this is episode one fifty four yeah, of right. this uh, one fifty six. One fifty six. See, that's <laughs> proof I, that I smoke I weed had, every day. I had clients who smoked it every day, and unfortunately, and who did well, who did very well. Ian Copeland, who was the head of FBI. Um, Do you think it boils down to the person, or? Rock. I don't know. Um, I, uh, there's, there's all kinds of fascinating research about what cannabinoids do in the brain. Um, they have to do with appetite, and you know that, yeah. getting the munchies, um, and a bunch of other things. They serve very useful purposes in the brain, but I haven't been able to remember the research. So. The, the other reason to vote for this uh, here is uh, because at this point there's no medical cannabis at all so right. well, i think cannabis has got, in any culture that is going to say okay to um to alcohol and tobacco um the fact is that cannabis is less harmful than either of them um so cannabis because it's again a drug of choice of a subculture um you only ban cannabis you only ban uh pot in order to put that subculture down and squash it under your thumb and that's something that no political group should have a right to do to another political group I agree. Uh, hey, Howard, maybe you could actually help me with something, because uh, I, I actually, maybe your advice would be valuable on something, because you were talking about tobacco a moment <laughs> ago. Um, I uh, have found, I, I smoke cigarettes. I find it extremely oh hard. I find it extremely hard not to. I've tried to quit se several times. Um, I find that I'm not able to muster the willpower to not smoke. I'm not very good at denying things to myself. I, I can't right. give myself boundaries very well. I have difficulties with that. Do you have any advice? Like, I know you, you know a lot about brain chemistry and, and shit like that, so maybe you have uh, some advice that you could give me that would maybe help me actually get off smoking. Well, okay. Because I don't, I don't really, really want to do it, but I do want to do it also, so. Well, uh, make a deal with Ben or somebody that you trust. Give him $1,000. <laughs> 
Um, oh. And tell him that uh, for every week that you smoke, that you break down, um, he will give that $1,000 to Donald Trump for oh, the Donald Trump campaign. Oh, um, shit. And that, that I'd rather just keep it. Have, yeah, Ben would just keep it. Trump. Yeah, he'd be like, I gave it to Donald Trump. Yeah, that's what's meant to motivate you. Um, <laughs> it's the big motivator. Do we have to do that to um, TJ now? Um, yeah, um, I would suggest that because for, that gives you enough money to carry you over for 10 weeks of self-discipline. And you can always remind yourself that if you fuck up, uh, that money is going to... Well, what did what did Ben Carson call it? The adversary. Um, it's going to the adversary. Going to the adversary. It's not a bad plan. Maybe I'll consider that. It, it oh helps, yeah, it helps you'll consider it. You're, it helps to feel that you are in the spotlight of another human being. That that other human being is watching what you were doing. And of course, this would give Ben an interest in making sure that you stayed off of uh, yeah. uh, tobacco. Um, and it would help you. I mean, it helps me to know that I have a girlfriend and it's very hard to do a thousand or 1400 push-ups. You have to keep pushing yourself and pushing yourself. Believe me, you want to quit at push-up number 30 and you still want to quit at push-up number 130 and 230 and 330. But having the eyes of someone upon you in your own mind um, helps with the self-discipline tremendously. She just tried to hide the behavior because we, we, we actually try things like that where she just like, watch me, don't let me, you know, monitor me. And he always just it's finds the only time, a way. You know what? That is what motivates TJ. Because like TJ never runs. But when it came to like running to, to get cigarettes when no one was looking, yeah. TJ's like, TJ's like He's Usain an Bolt, Olympic man. track runner. Yeah. Right. Turned into Usain Amazing. Bolt. Astonishing. Um so, but you know what? what I, I I have uh, I have gone from uh, about twelve to fourteen cigarettes a day to four cigarettes a day. So well, that's good. I am at least uh, okay. I am at least weaning myself. I do want to say though that TJ will now. be like TJ will be like I didn't smoke any cigarettes today. We'll be like okay. Well, did you smoke a cigar? Yeah. Yeah, I did. <laughs> oh God. Oh Lord. <laughs> I mean, you know, what we're talking about here is is your longevity. Um, uh, people like me, I want you to be around for a long, long time to come. And uh, cigarettes, my dad died of lung cancer. It was nasty. I hey, mean, he was, I was 82, though. Holy shit. I could live yeah, to 82, 82 smoking. <laughs> but, but my brother tells me, because I was stuck in bed and nobody was allowed to talk to me about it because I couldn't handle any kind of stress. But my brother tells me it was mean, wicked, nasty. It was painful. It was horrible. Um and yeah, I, I'll just go through that. I'll just kill myself when that happens. I guess. <laughs> oh, Sep, I'll commit seppuku in the Japanese. You are fashion. killing yourself already. Yeah, you're already doing yeah, that. But I'll do it quicker. Oh, okay. Yeah. Hey, by the way, Howard, well, you said you said earlier in the show you tried to kill yourself a few times in your life. Yeah. I'm assuming that was because of your illness, maybe, or one was it was for because, other reason? One was because I had no purposes left in life. I hadn't planned things well enough. And the other was because, um, yeah, because my illness, because my wife was divorcing me. She was leaving me because of the illness. Um, and, yeah, life was pretty hard. I mean, the first time I had tried to find myself an arbitrary purpose in life, because when you have a purpose and you set, you suffer, set your sex on a goal, no matter what it is, and you work to achieve it, you end up accomplishing things you never thought you would accomplish in your life. How did, you try, how did you try to do it? Well, what, that was, what was the method? Time, I, I don't know how I had this with me. But the day after we finished, I had four years at NYU. Okay, that gave me an artificial purpose, get a degree. 
and get straight A's. That was an artificial purpose too. So I aced it for, for three years straight. I got nothing but straight A's. And But I didn't anticipate that I would have to set up some structure for when school was over, when I graduated. And after the last day of classes, one of my friends who's who had been married to the guy that Allen Ginsberg wrote the poem or dedicated the poem, Howl, you know, the key poem, the key anthem of the Beat Generation too. She was married to him. So she was an old, hip, uh, she was before a hippie. She was an old beatnik. So she took me to a Country Joe and the Fish concert and she had speed. I think it was methadrine. And I hadn't done any, I've only done speed once in my life. So I took the pills, which I shouldn't probably have done. And you know how speed is. You're all jacked up for about four to six hours, and you can think you would solve all the problems of the universe, and entire encyclopedia, encyclopedias full of information come surging through your brain, and you put them through a miraculous, you put them in packages, you organize them in miraculous new ways that are going to save humanity, and then after the six hours is over comes the next 36 hours of crash, and you're in a miserable state. Well, during the crash, I had no purpose in life anymore. But school had done it for four years, and now I was out of school, and I was sitting there morosely looking at a bottle of about 140 Valium, thinking of taking them, and the woman who had taken me to this concert saw me doing that, grabbed the bottle of Valium, and said, you're coming home with me, and I spent the next uh, two weeks in a mental institution. They let me out for good behavior, and I learned all kinds of interesting things in that mental institution. It was a terrific opportunity, um, <laughs> but... But then when my wife tried to divorce me, and this is many years later, because the first one would have been in 1968. The second one would have been 30 years later in 1998. And my wife was divorcing me, and I didn't have anything left. You know, my illness had taken away my ability to do PR. Not that I wanted to do that anymore. I'd started writing my first book, and I wanted to do my book. But I wanted to go out and promote my book. I wanted to go to every town I'd been to with ZZ Top or the Jacksons. Um, and, and promote my own fucking book, um, my own thinking, my own way of giving you perceptual lenses, the thing I'm really here on this planet to do. And now my ability to talk had gone. I couldn't speak anymore. My ability to have another person in the room with me had gone. My ability to walk was gone. All of my abilities were gone. Everything was gone. And the one thing I had left was my marriage. My wife had been leaving me for three days at a time to go upstate to take care of her mother, help take care of her mother with her sister. Her mother had Alzheimer's. And I begged her, because those three days alone were hideous, and I begged her to stop doing that, and she said, I'm going to do it even more. And then she hit me with a divorce. And the divorce story was cool, TJ, because um, she hit me. Here I was, in, incapable of speaking, incapable of handling any kind of stress, incapable of having people in the room. And she hit me with the divorce papers, she, she came here. She usually, when she made odd visits to me, she announced it to the two people who were at least making my food and taking care of laundering my clothes, who have turned out to be heroin addicts. I didn't know that. But, um, I mean, it was a real weird scene. But she would call in advance. Well, she showed up one day without calling in advance. And she just sat in the front room. And nobody knew why. And then um, in came this little person who looked like she was straight out of a Damon Runyon novel. She looked like a walking callus. And the two of them, my wife and this strange-looking woman, walked into my bedroom where I was laying on the bed. And I stood up, which was very hard for me then, and, and walked over two steps and put my hand out. Because even if this woman looked peculiar, if she was a friend of my wife, she was a friend of mine. And she put a piece of paper in my hands. And then the two of them disappeared.
I think my wife sat on my bed for a few minutes and said, we're still friends and gave me a, a Tyco or whatever they're called, big stuff bear and a, a big stuff moose. And we're not friends under those conditions. And then I lay there for two hours without even reading a piece of paper because my system could not handle stress. And, but I realized nobody else was going to read it and I was going to have to read it anyway. And it was a paper that said, if I didn't answer her in court in the next 22 days, I would forfeit everything I owned. I would forfeit the bed I was sleeping on, the sheets that were covering me, the, the building I was living in, everything, absolutely everything would go. And now if you hand a paper like that to somebody on November 22nd, and that person's already very, very seriously disabled, um, what is that person up against in terms of getting a lawyer? Remember, everybody in the practical world, like lawyers, disappears around the 24th to have Thanksgiving. And they really don't come back until something like January 6th, because first it's Thanksgiving, then it's Christmas, then they take their vacations in Bermuda, then they come back. She was setting me up. She was setting me up to lose everything I had. Um, and it was, so it was a terrible experience. And I managed to get a lawyer, thank God. Um, and the lawyer was good under the circumstances. He never came out to visit me. I still never met him in my life. I had to do everything I could for my bed. Um, and I, it, it was difficult. It was really horrid. And one, one thing I didn't realize at the time is your emotions are always there, whether you acknowledge them or not. And I didn't acknowledge the fact that I was angry against my wife. I wouldn't admit it to myself. And because I wouldn't admit it to myself, it sat inside of me and it turned on me. And it meant that every second of the day, I was going through the kind of pain that makes a second seem like an eternity. Second after second after second of eternal hell and eternal pain. And I couldn't take it anymore, finally, after two months and or three months. And finally, I decided I don't want to wake up tomorrow. I can't go through any more of these interminable hells, hells that never end in a second. So I took uh, 98 Valium. I took 15 Thorazine. Um, I uh, found five cc's of lidocaine and I had a, a, a great big needle and I put the five c's of, cc's of lidocaine in the great big needle and I put that into me and I went to sleep and I didn't want to cause anybody in trouble. I just didn't want to wake up the next morning. And I woke up three days later and I learned that there is a meaning to the phrase sleeping like a corpse. Your, your body, you know those things of your circulatory system that you used to see in encyclopedias in the days when encyclopedias were printed, and you'd yeah. have this plastic uh, red overlay and a blue overlay, and that's your circulatory system. No, I'm sorry, that's not, your, not, that's not your circulatory system. That's a small part of your circulatory system. When you tap your foot at a concert, that's your circulatory system. When you move restlessly at night and turn from one side to the other, that's your circulatory system. When you walk that's your circulatory system. If all of your muscles stop moving with the exception of your heart, you don't have circulatory system. And the result was that when I woke up three days later, I'd been sleeping like a corpse, meaning that none of my muscles had been moving at all for three days. And the blood had pooled. And the weight of the blood, your flesh is much more fragile than you imagine. And your blood, two quarts of it, is a lot more weight than, uh, than your body can handle without constantly shuttling the stuff around. So there was a hole in my neck where the blood had come out, and there was a hole in my side where the blood had come out, both on the right side, exactly where they would have been in Jesus. I could have, uh, these wow. are called stigmata. I, you I are the, so you're the second coming, basically. Yeah, right. I'm the Jewish Zionist atheist saint. 
Hey, you know, um, the Jews are still waiting for the Messiah. Maybe they found no, their guy, you know what I'm saying? Right. So, hey, uh, Howard, anyway, I, so I hate, well, hold on. Like. Yeah, I hate to, uh, I hate to interrupt, but we are going to wrap the show up. Thank okay. you very much I'll for be, being I'll on. I'm be curious to see how you wrap up. Um, that's it. We're, Thank you very much for being on. You're not going to wrap up all the contents of this stuff? Nope, um, we just, we just end. You it just, just goes end. and goes until eventually we're like, all right, that's long enough. We're done. Okay, well, it's, it's nice to drop off the cliff with you. No, I had a wonderful <laughs> time. I always do. I think it's thanks, big. Howard. Thank you, you Howard. Terrific. Yeah, thank so, you so much. And thank you, Scotty, most of all. <laughs> You're welcome. All right. Thanks for Howard for being on. Thanks. Uh, Check to out his you YouTube channel. Watching. He's got a YouTube channel. He's got in a the bunch description of below. Legit books that are actually in stores and shit, like The Lucifer Principle, which is. Or on Amazon. Favorite. Yeah, you can buy them on Amazon using our Great affiliate books. link, even. We've, I if think you were interested by what, what uh, Howard had to say, why don't you use the Amazon affiliate link down below to go buy one of his fucking books? And some knowledge you, in your brain. If you enjoyed the show, give the video a thumbs up. Just do it. Do it for Ben. Do it. Look at if you if you could see Ben right now, you know he let's really needs to do it. Let's take a look at uh, let's take a look England at the fantasy football league and see where we are. We, we got fifty four, so there's less than one third left. Available. If you guys want to get beat by me, We've the got privilege three days of being beaten by one of the drunken. Show cousins. Scotty what's up. Show Scotty what's up. TJ, TJ and Ben are out of this. They're not going to no, win. No, no. My next They're garbage. I'm going to play first with my next team. Okay, we'll see. Oh. We'll see. You want to put some money on the line right now on the air then? So extra money? Oh, I ain't putting money against you. I'm just going to win at fan. No, TJ. Nope. You said you're going to win. Nope. You're gonna, you're, if you're going to win, you're going to beat me. $100, TJ. Do you nope. want to go right now? Nope, I ain't doing it. Pussy. You're a, I'm not. Yeah, you're a pussy. FanDuel.com forward slash DP. He's afraid. The banana bitch is afraid. The fucking, uh, egg The egg bitch, bitch. bitch is going to beat the banana bitch, huh? No. Oh, it happened last week? $100, TJ. You want to take the better that or not? That was the end of $100. Your, you want to take the, the better or not? Days. Yes or no? True or false, TJ? No, I ain't taking it. Oh, come you ain't on. You're me into it, you piece of shit. The audience is seeing you back down, TJ. I am the alpha male. I am the Donald Trump of our group. Wow. Wow. I am Donald Trump. Come on. Neat. All right, everybody. Have a good night. Good night. Good See night. you guys on Friday. Good night and good fuck.